This is Bars Loaded with Ben and Nick. A strength, powerlifting and performance podcast. Where we hope to share our opinions, help educate and inspire. Tell a few stories, build a community along the way and... Bars Loaded. This is literally going to be chaos. Fuck it, mate. Welcome to my world. <laughs> chaos all the time. <laughs> oh, I just... It's like just different flavor of chaos every fucking day of the week. Yeah, today today has been absolutely chaotic from start to finish. And Tell I, me more. I expect this podcast to just be a complete extension of that. Oh, I can't so, wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. It's going to be a fun ride. Just strap in. Well, that's why I've got my coffee. So we're we're fucking good to go this week. So I got to the gym this morning. Mm-hmm. First of all, I had a horrible night's sleep last night because... Always a good start. Yeah, I had one of those nights where I kept... I was like laying in bed asleep, but I was also half awake. And it felt like... I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the entire night, but it felt like for the entire night I was... I had thought that my alarm had gone off and that I was sleeping in yeah and i was like oh for sure m's gonna like roll over and tell me to get up soon and then it just never happened and then i was like oh maybe not oh i'll go to the toilet and then when i went to the toilet i came into the study and looked at my phone and i was like oh it's only midnight went back to bed literally like what felt like straight away i was like oh my alarm's definitely gone off i'm just laying here (laughs) all night it was horrible I fucking so, hate those nights, man. Oh, yeah, it was super restless. So then I woke up, not in a bad mood, but not in a good mood. I was just kind of a bit stroppy. Yeah. Stubbed my toe. Getting <laughs> walking into the <laughs> walking into the bathroom to have a shower. Yep. On on the little on the little ledge where the tiles start. So that was fantastic. Really hurt. Um, imagine and i have a i have a really fucked up big toenail on my right on my right foot way like i probably should get it checked out it's back from when i played footy um i used to wear footy boots that were a size too small on purpose Mm -hmm. and then i'd i'd buy them a size small i'd wear them in the shower and then with my footy socks on brand new wear them in the shower so that they were soaking wet then I would wear them around for the whole day until they dried and they would kind of like mold really nicely to my foot. Mm-hmm. So they were always super snug. Um, but I remember this one training session. It was pouring rain. It was a very slippery, very muddy, cold session. And another really big human stood right directly onto my big toe with their uh, footy spikes. Yep. And it was towards the start of the session. It was my foot throbbed the entire session, but I kept going. And then when I got home, I took my boots off and my toe, my big toenail literally came off with my sock. Yeah. It, it like instantly fell off. And then ever since then, literally ever since that night, whenever my, my big toe nail will grow out and as it gets like halfway up my toe, it dies, so then by the time it's fully grown back out, 
the entire toenail's dead and falling off. And then it just kind of like hangs by by a thread until I like knock it and it falls off. And when it falls off, the, the other toenail's already halfway up my toe. And then it's like two weeks and then that one dies and then it grows out dead. It's fucking gross, man. For someone who finds feet repulsive, this conversation is a living <laughs> hell for me. <laughs> yeah, so I, yuck. So I started my day kicking my toenail off, my dead toenail nice. off. Nice. So, so that hurt. Mm-hmm. Went to the gym. My knee was feeling a bit gross, um, and it like locked up a couple of times. So then I just got the shits, packed up, and came home after doing nothing at all. So that wasn't a good start. And then I was like, oh, you know, you know, it's all good. I'll go and train after lunch. I'll have a little bit of time after lunch. No time. <laughs> no time presented itself. Did a full day check-ins. My computer was super slow. Three of my programs that I wrote got deleted after I wrote them. So then I had to rewrite them, which was awesome. Love that. Love that. And then um, drove out to a meeting. The place where the meeting was supposed to be held was closed. People didn't tell me that it was going to be closed. So then I drove home. So that was a waste of half an hour. And then came home. My wedding ring fell off and under the car because I've lost so much weight that it's now so so big on me it literally just fell straight off my hand under my car i couldn't find it anywhere so i literally had to get on the driveway which is rocks and crawl around on the rocks to find it and it was inside the wheel like inside my rim <laughs> sitting inside my rim it took me fucking 45 minutes to find that was great <laughs> and then yeah that's just got inside um had a meeting with M that we do at the start of every month. That was actually pretty good. And then straight into making a coffee, doing a quick poo, jump on the podcast, no prep, going in raw. That's how we like it. That's been my day, man, in a nutshell. That's fucking chaotic, man. And I ran out of milk. Which for you is like, that'd be like me running out of coffee or meat. Oh, yeah, dude, it's horrible. Like, I had the biggest tantrum you could imagine. Baby didn't have his milk. (laughs) I didn't have my my milk. Oh, man, I just had the biggest tantrum right before I walked in here because on Mondays I save my milk consumption for the podcast so that, you know, my bones and my brain are on full full steam ahead. Yeah. But not today. Not today. Today we're powered on caffeine. And fizzy water. And rage. <laughs> and rage. Yeah, rage. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. How's your day been? Not too bad, man. I um got a little bit of work done this morning, went and trained, went to my grandparents, did some stuff at their place for them, and then came home, did a little bit more work, and then here we are. Nice. Sounds a lot less chaotic than mine. Yeah, my, I, I'm actively trying to uh, minimize the chaos in my days at the moment, but hmm. it's, uh, 
all well and good for now, but it's never going to last long because I'm just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I am chaos. Yeah, pretty much. No, I think that's good, though. I mean, you and I spoke a little bit about this morning about how important your environment is. Yeah, for the people around you and all that sort of shit. Yeah, the people around you, the people that you hang out with, the people that you have conversations with, the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. Majority of the time, I think it really, you know, it really shapes who you are as a person. Hundred percent. As cliche as the the saying is, it's like you know, you are the the product of the five people closest to you. Yeah, you know, I never really. It's not that I didn't believe that. I just, I think I didn't put a whole lot of value in that thought up until mm. the the latter half of last year and the early the early parts of this year yeah and the, it's funny because my life has kind of always been fairly chaotic it's mm-hmm. it's like i've always got stuff done but it's always been through like just sheer determination and just kind of like muscling my way through things and it's always been paired with a lot of chaos and drama and just like annoyingness surrounding me. And it wasn't until I realized that like I was the one that was creating that by allowing it into my life in the first place yeah. that it stopped that it stopped happening. It's super interesting, huh? Mm. It's uh certainly very interesting what can happen almost like subconsciously if we don't really bring any awareness to it Mm. but i mean it's hard too right because it's not easy to just cut people off so so so, so, and then and if you're if you're any type of decent person like there's going to be a part of you that feels bad for doing that even even if you know it's the best thing for you anyone that says they don't feel bad is just a fucking asshole one thing that I've tried to really implement in like the last probably like six to eight weeks is if let's say, for example, I have someone around me that just like constantly complains, I'll just preface it. Like if, if they start talking like, oh, how, like, how was your day? Like, yeah, it was good. Like, how was yours? Like, oh, and if they're about to start on a rant, I'll just say to them like, hey, if it's going to be negative or complaining, I don't have the space to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And literally, people are like, "Oh, okay, well, never mind then," and they walk off. It's like, cool, crisis averted. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Like, again, you know, I, I'm actively putting in a lot of work to really curate my environment, what I consume, um, mm-hmm. and if something sort of doesn't really align with what I'm trying to do at the moment. It's not that I will like, cut someone off, but it's also like the time and energy that I'll put into that. Or like and whether that's like a friendship, whether that's like content that I consume, whatever it might be. Um like I'm trying to really like audit what I'm what I'm doing, who I'm doing it with, and what the nature of that is. Yep. Um, like, yeah, even with like podcasts and stuff that I listen to, 
within marketing like 30 seconds of an episode starting i kind of know if i'm going to want to listen to it or not mm-hmm. um you know conversations i'm having with people if it's not i might don't get me wrong like i i understand the the value in like having people around you that you can vent to if you're having a fucking shit time mm-hmm. but if all that they're doing is venting like fuck man you and i we vent to each other quite a lot but yeah. that's not that's not all of our conversations like you know we talk about like business we obviously talk about this we talk about coaching like we talk about relationships we talk about so many different things and then maybe mm-hmm. like five percent of the time it'd be like hey dude i need a fucking vent can i yeah and, and I, I think that, I actually, that question I actually of like that. can i I feel like when people just come in and they have the expectation, like, oh, just because you're my friend means that you have to listen to me bitch and complain. It's like, yep. no, 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 no. Like, if I, like, I mean, again, there are going to be days when, like, you might see them like, hey, dude, like, I've had a kind of a day. Can I fucking vent? I'll be like, hey, like, man, like, I've had a really shocker of a day. I don't really have the capacity to, like, to hold the space because I just, like, I'm a little bit, like, consumed with what, I, what I've got going on. Mm-hmm. You and I have the kind of relationship where you'd be like, fuck, like, all right, cool. Are you all good? Are you good? And then it might be like, yeah, kind of, but not really. Yeah. And then like the, the, the dynamic can kind of change and adapt pretty free-flowingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got some other friends just don't have any awareness around like, like asking like, is it okay if I vent? Because like I've got some shit I need to get off my chest. Yeah. I found that there was also people that I was around that I'm not around anymore. Mm. So they won't even listen to this, so it's okay. But it was literally like every single conversation was something negative. Every single one. Yeah. And I was like, man, I just can't do this. Like you're, you find the negative in every single situation. And you're like, I just kept thinking you're never going to, you're never going to get out of the situation that you're in. You're never going to move forward because all you're doing is finding more and more negative and that's just bringing more and more negative to you. What a really fun thing you can do with people. Like when you've got someone that like you said, you're like, fuck, this person always finds a negative. Hmm. I feel like, like I, cause I've, I've done this before and it's it can be a little bit confronting, but it's, I feel like it's also really um, like beneficial exercise to do with someone. Where like if let's say someone starts complaining, you go, Hey, I'm just gonna interject really quickly. One thing I've noticed, you always seem to find the negatives to these situations. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna let you vent. And then what I want you to do for me is tell me a positive from this situation. Hmm. I feel like I've had that conversation with you a few times. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> but like, not not exactly, but along the same lines. Yeah, but I mean, like, obviously, like you can find a silver lining in any situation, of course. But sometimes it's just going to be a matter of like, are you actually in a in a position to be able to look like? So obviously, like we know what like with obviously what my situation was. There was a period of time I'm like, dude, like I don't have a silver lining yet. Yeah, and I'm not like, ready to. I'm not ready to see it. Yeah, and like there is going to be times when it's like it's like cool, like that's fine. You don't have to be ready to find it yet, but eventually you're going to find one. Yeah, and eventually I did. 
Yeah. And but it was me. Of course it was you. It's always <laughs> you, Nick. It's always, it's always been you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we're cute. Oh, but like, is... you know, if someone is like constantly sitting there going, oh, like, you know, just complaining about situations, it's like, cool. Like try and find a sort of lining for me. And I feel like I'm not ready to, it's like, cool, that's, that's fine. But there's something I want you to reflect on. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. That's cool. Hmm. Have you been training much? I saw you. Did you bench today? Oh, did I? That Was that <laughs> clip from t- That was today I saw that, wasn't it? Yeah. Whew. Yeah, she's moving. Was, was that an invisible block or there was just actually no block there this time? For which one? For the 130 uh, for nine? Yeah, you did one last week with a block. And then you were like, just imagine this block wasn't here. But then you did one today <laughs> with no block and it was just as good. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah, no, it's so like I hit like 145 for four on my top set, um, which is very close to my best set of four. So my best set of four ever is 150 for four. Mm-hmm. And I did that after I failed a 170 attempt. Mm-hmm. That was on the but fat that, pad. Yeah, that was on the fat pad. That like that Thompson bench like suits my leverages to the fucking T. Hmm. But I'm like, there's no gym that I know of here in Melbourne that has one. Where was that, that could, one? I don't remember the exact name of the gym, but it was like it was when I was up in Sydney last year. It's in Sydney, not, yeah, okay. not, not Sydney. Um, Maybe in like Parramatta or some shit. I, I honestly don't know. Man. It was it was when I was in New South Wales. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but it was when I was up there for breakthrough. Yeah. Um, I got up on the Friday, had done like my heavy bench, um, like my block press the day before. I'd been up since like four o'clock that morning, hadn't eaten, had flown into state. Was like, yeah, I'm not going to train. I'm just going to like, you know, fluff around a little bit. Did some accessories. I'm like, oh, I like body feels pretty good like we're happy with this and it's all the fat pad there i'm like oh never used one so i'm like fuck it i'll just i'll have a bit of fun 70 yeah that felt pretty good 100 yeah i felt pretty good i'll just do 120 i was like oh god i'm feeling really good put 140 on and that is still like the fastest i've ever moved 140 i um, think you posted that the other day too just yeah. the other day yeah and then i was like oh, fuck, i put 155 on and that flew as well. But then I clipped like the hook at the top and I was just having like some issues with it. Managed to get all that sorted. Put 162 on, which is like two and a half kilos under my best. And that flew. And I'm like, I'm like, the logic in my brain is like, you've got 167 today. Like that would move. But I'm not going to not attempt a 170 bench. Yeah, especially when it was feeling that good. Yeah. A few other factors as well that were sort of playing into it, but I was like, fuck it, all right, we'll 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 give it a go. Yeah. And I unracked it, and I've come down, I've hit my chest, and I've pressed up, and I, I was an inch of locking out. Like, I literally had my elbows, like, there. I just mm-hmm. needed to do that. So everyone listening is, like, just an literally an inch. Not, I, I don't even reckon it would have been an inch. Like Probably half. Dude, I'll, like, I'll send you the video. Do you have your phone on you right now? Nah, I'm using it as a camera. Oh, fuck you. Well, I'll send it to you later. Yeah, send and, it like, after. I don't know if you can do like the video over the top of this with this one. Yeah, I'll clip this Ooh. one. 
we'll put the video on. People can have a look at just how close I was and how much it still just like kills me. So let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. If Are you happy to get 170 to within half an inch or does it burn you that you didn't take 167 and hit a PB? I would rather have taken 167 for the PB. Yeah. Because Same. I'm like, it's like, if I'm it's in like the- short, like I still failed. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't it- matter that I got close. Like I, I didn't nah. actually do it. And it kind of hurts more, right? It's like, it's almost like it's better to get beat by 50 than to get beat by one. Yeah. <laughs> like you'd, you'd rather be like, like I would have rather unracked 170, got into and just the chest and be like, it's, it's not coming off my chest. <laughs> Like yeah, I would have rather hurt that, way less. Yeah. But to get as far through the rep as I did and just not be able to finish it, I'm like, it's yeah, it's literally like getting beaten by one. You're just like motherfuckers. Like I was like, that close, and it's like it's like you miss a fucking buzzer shot as well, and it just misses. And you're like, fucking yeah, I would have just rather airballed it. Like yeah. I got, I got that three thirty, like so close yeah. at nationals. Yeah, and and I honestly think. Like if I had taken three twenty seven, that was probably that, that probably is everything that was there. Which is and I just, what I said to you on the day yeah. as well after you showed me my dude. Three twenty seven and a half would be in there, but yeah. not three thirty. I know, but it's just and I look back and I'm like, God, I wish I took three twenty seven. But in but the I moment, also, I'm like, fuck three twenty seven. I'm on three thirty. But I also kind of feel like that mentality is kind of needed to be successful. Mm. Like, yeah, it's whether like- it's you know whether it's a, a me attempting one seventy or you attempting a three thirty deadlift, it's that whole thing of like, if I don't occasionally push the envelope, I'm not going to know. And I feel yeah, like exactly. you and I also switched on enough where, like in hindsight, we can go, oh yeah, like it was just it was just too heavy for the day. We don't have to do the oh, well because I misgrooved, uh, it should have been an RPE eight, but it ended up being a little bit too much for the day. So it was like a nine point yeah. nine 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 nine. It's like no, no, it was just too heavy because I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, I was just but, cooked because it was the last lift of the day. Yeah, yeah, well, it was just too heavy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Everyone, but, people, people actually ask me, have asked me a fair bit. Man, you were so close. Like all you had to do was lock it out. What happened? I was like. It's 330 kilos. It was fucking yeah, heavy. Was That's heavy. what happened. I couldn't lock it out. I really tried. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Excuse me. Like, I don't know yeah. if you've ever tried to lift 330 kilos off the ground to like a seventh store building like I do. It's really heavy. And it's a long way to fucking go. <laughs> yeah. So I was really trying. <laughs> I'm giving it a walk. I'm capping it. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not like I'm just not trying. No. It's like, we'll just try harder. Yeah. It's like, thanks, fucking. But I always go back to that. And I think, I do think you have to push the envelope sometimes. Like, look at Michael Jordan. He's a fantastic example. Or even a better example is even Kobe, right? Kobe's yeah. my fav- favorite athlete of all time, of any sport, of any era ever. Like, mm-hmm. I think, hands down, he's probably one of the greatest humans to have ever lived in so many different ways. I look up to him still. So freaking much, dude. I'm not even ashamed to admit that I cried actual tears when he died. There's nothing to be ashamed of, dude. Yeah, like he's, I just think he's has so many um, incredible qualities. But one of them was that 
he just fucking wanted to take the shot. Like good shot or mm. bad shot, he just took shots. And yeah. yeah, he missed heaps of shots. But think of all the incredible shots that he made. I was like, I know, like I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but when they do talk about Jordan, they're like, you know, this is like these are how like how many like winning game shots he's game, missed. Game winners. Yeah. Yep. You know, like these are all the times that he's lost. These are all the times that he's failed. Ra 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 ra. Because I think a lot of people get caught in this thing where, like, and especially with social media nowadays, they go, "Oh well, this person seems to have blown up overnight. This is this isn't fair because, like, you know, I've worked really hard. It's like, yeah, you may have worked hard, but this other person just probably worked harder. Like mm-hmm. using Kobe as the example, like, you know, you quite often hear people talking about like they would rock up to training and he'd already been there for two hours. Mm-hmm. Practicing, yeah, and like when the coaches were looking at him, they're like, "He's literally running drills that you get taught as a like a four five year old kid to learn fundamentals of like ball handling and that sort of stuff." And he's been there for two hours practicing that stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really like a really really cool thing to draw on. Where it's like, you know, obviously, like in powerlifting and strength training, like we talk about, and like realistically for any sort of endeavor, it's like you get good at the basics. And you repeat them over and over and over and over again until pretty much you die. Mm-hmm. Probably a bad choice of terms there, but <laughs> um, but like you do it over and over and over and over again until you can't do it anymore, and then you do it some more. Yep. Like if Kobe, being one of the best basketballers, can go in and run fundamentals that a lot of people be like, oh, I play in the NBA, I don't need to do my fundamentals like that. Mm-hmm. The fact that he would go in and do it is proof of why he was one of the best. Yeah, man. When he went to, there was a story that I heard. I, I can't remember if I read it in his book or if I just read it somewhere online. Um, but he asked the organization, like, okay, what does the day of training look like? Like, when do we start? Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, breakfast is at six at the facility and then, um, you know, you guys go to the locker rooms, get changed and training starts at eight or whatever it is. Yeah. And he's like, cool. Um, Can I please have keys to the stadium? Because I want to get, if breakfast is at six, I want to get here at three so I can see however many hundred baskets go in before breakfast and then I'll start training with the rest of the team. So, like, people would rock up at six to have breakfast and Kobe had already shot 300 baskets. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. But, but that's also the caliber of someone that is at the top of their game. Like, like you think of, like, people in our industry. You know, like, how many people do you hear of, like, oh, I'm going to be an online-only coach so that I can travel the world and I can, you know, work wherever I want and, you know, I can make all this money and I can work, like, three hours a day. <laughs> and it's like... Bro, like, if you're getting into this to only work three hours a day, you're not going to make money. Mm-hmm. Like. And you're going to give a sh- completely shit service. Yeah. <laughs> or you're going to be, like, you know, having it so that you, like, having it's like a pyramid scheme. And it's like you're at the top and you have, like, an hour meeting with three coaches and then these coaches do all the grunt work for you. In which case, you're not actually running a coaching business. Like, I mean, technically you are, but like you're not a coach. No. 
No, I think that's a that's a really common misconception of especially of online coaching because it's super different, right? Like people do treat it differently because it's on the internet. Mm-hmm. And it and it feels it does feel different, but when you break it down, it's exactly the same. So when I was on a when I was a PT predominantly in person for the first freaking 15 years of my coaching career. What's the best way to get clients to be present in the club that you're a coach at, right? Walk around in the club, talk to people, build relationships, give free advice, be just be around and be known and be seen and, and give value where possible. And then when those people are thinking, Oh, I might like a coach. You're the first first person that they think of. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing on the internet. If you think that you can just be an online coach and just go and sit by the beach and do nothing all day and just wait for people to flock to your inbox, unless you're naked on the internet, that's not happening. It's true. <laughs> so it's, you just literally just have to apply the same principles and just be present in your workplace as much as possible, which is the internet. So be on the internet as much as possible, have conversations, build relationships, give value. And then when people think, hmm, I might like a coach, who do they think of? Yeah. The person that's done all of those exact same things that you do in person, you just do it on the internet. But without doing those things, you could probably work three days, three hours a day, sure. Yeah. Like, I was having this conversation with, so there's the guy I used to train that I bumped into him at the gym today and we're having a bit of a chat. Um, and I've had this conversation with a few other people I know that are coaches as well, but it's the whole thing of like people who are really new to the industry who go straight into online coaching because that's the the rave at the moment that, you know, oh, well, I'm an online coach, you know, you know, whether it's like someone who's an actual like essentially online personal trainer or if someone's like an online business coach, but mm. like, for example, like you'll get people who are like, oh, you know, come and join my online program and I'll teach you how to build a six-figure personal training business. I and just the, took a huge deep breath because... I know, I can hear. <laughs> <laughs> but like the the extent of their like advice will be like, oh, well, like we're on our, you know, we're doing this thing today. You know, what we're going to do is open up your calculator and what we're going to do is we're going to go $100,000. Now, what do you charge an hour? <laughs> oh, you charge $75 an hour? Well, you need to do 1300 Like, Like, they literally just do, like, the most basic fucking maths of being like, oh, well, $100,000 a year is X amount per month. To make this much money per month, how much are you charging your clients per month? This much. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide this number by what you charge your clients monthly, and that gives us the number of how many clients you have. Go oh, get thanks. some clients. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> thanks, genius. And then they're like, like that's, that's 15 grand for that. Thank you. For your first installment of one of 10. <laughs> yeah. Because th- this is how I built a six-figure business is I charge someone $150,000 for me to teach them how to do it as well. Yeah, I've got one client. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, this is the do whole you, thing with, with like- you, can, Sorry, I'm going to cut no, in. No, you go. I've got, a, I've got a life hack for you. Ah, uh, fucking here we go. <laughs> <laughs> This is a massive life hack. Yep. If someone is offering to coach you in any area of your life and their prices 
are angel numbers, fucking run in the opposite direction. No exception. For a limited time only, buy my program for $1,111. Yep. But next week it's going up to 99999. Run. Opposite direction. That that's that is the hallmark of a fucking scam. But Nick, don't you believe in the power of abundance? <laughs> oh, I don't know, maybe. I don't not in that not in that sense, no. But like sort of going back to like the original conversation, like all these people want to do these, you know. I'm going to be an online coach or I'm going to be an online trainer or whatever I'm going to fucking be. How do you get good at coaching? Experience. Yeah. You have time on the, on the gym floor. You watch hundreds of people move. You mm-hmm. spend thousands of hours coaching. Mm-hmm. Like all these people, like they sit there and like, oh, well, you know, again, like, I mean, shit, you've been in the industry a long fucking time. I've been mm-hmm. in the industry a long fucking time. Even when I get clients sending me videos for their check-ins, I look and I go, your angles here fucking suck. Mm-hmm. And I literally have to put it in as a note, but like, hey, next week, I want you to send me a video from like a 45-degree angle on the front. Mm-hmm. And then I also want you to send me videos from sets two and three from these different angles so I can get a better view of what's going on because that's usually how I would walk around them as they're doing their set to be able to go, mm-hmm. Are they doing the things that I want them to do? But the amount of coaches that'll be like, oh, yeah, great job. And it's like, there's like nine things that need to be addressed with that lift yeah. by telling them they've and done a great you, and job. You can't, and you can't see any of them. You can't, you can't see shit. <laughs> yeah. But like, this is where I always come back to like, not everyone should be doing online coaching. Oh, no, of course not. Not everyone because should frankly, be doing coaching full stop. No, but like, there are a, a large portion of people that when they're on their own, they don't know how to train hard. Mm-hmm. And that's not a dig at them. That's just oh, you a, mean from you mean from a client perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. but uh, sorry, client and coaching perspective. So like clients that come and going, oh well, it's the cheapest option. I'm just gonna go with that one there. It's like, you know, if we think about like why most people hire a coach is so they can fast track their progress. Mm-hmm. But then people go, I'm going to pay the lower end of the spectrum because that's all I can, quote unquote, afford. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder why their progress doesn't come across as fast. Whereas, like, for example, I was I was at a wedding on Friday night and I bumped into a bunch of guys that I used to train like pre-COVID and I trained these two guys four times a week for 90 minutes a piece. So they nice. trained with me for six hours a week. Yep. They got real strong real quick. Yeah, I bet. So- I think I've told you about this guy before who like he came in and he was the most injury riddled person I have ever met in my life. And he came in and our first session together, he squatted 35 kilos, he benched 30 kilos and he trap bar deadlifted 60, weighing 114 kilos roughly. Fast forward like 18 months. So 18 months, still a long time, but also in the grand scheme of things, not that long. Not that long, no. Squatted 170, mm-hmm. benched 110, and pulled 200 for a double without a belt. Massive. Now, he's also the, like he's also a really fun story for a, a few different reasons. I ran the same program with him for eight months. Mm-hmm. Zero changes. 
other than volume and intensity, no. But exercise selection, exercise order is the same, same. for eight months? Same. Awesome. That's so this good. Is, but like it was good because it was like, you know, it was like might be like five exercises per session. Mm-hmm. But it started off at maybe like two or three at the start and then like gradually over time, like maybe a few extras in there. But as far as like really like A, B series was always the same. C series was always the same. And it's like, cool. We've now gotten to a point where I can probably add in like a D1, D2. Mm-hmm. Easy. Perfect. But for the most part, like we ran the same program for ages and we got really fucking strong. But he also paid a lot of money to get those results in that time. Yeah. If, if and- he had gone online, he wouldn't have progressed very well. I can tell you this right now. Yeah, from what from what reason do you think? Do you think he probably would have got the same results, but it would have taken longer, or you don't think he would have gotten those results at all? So before he'd started with me, he had never been to a gym before. Mm-hmm. Now I've worked with a few people previously who have gone into online coaching with me, and they're like, "I've never been to a gym before," and I'm like, "Oh." I'm like, I'm honest with them. I'm like, guys, I'm like, I don't want you to be going into online to begin with. I would rather you pay a little bit of money to start. We get like a month of face-to-face coaching to get some basic framework outlined so you understand what I'm looking for and you can actually understand what training intensity is. Mm-hmm. Because again, like if you think about it, like think how hard is it to, to like understand how to feel your lats when you bench press? Like yeah, it's that, not easy. Something, no, but if I'm just saying, oh, well, all I want you to do is X, Y, and Z, someone who's eight, never been to the gym before, probably has pretty poor like understanding of body literacy. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to know what the fuck I'm talking about when I'm like, I'll oh, do this, this, and this. Whereas if I'm in person, I can be like, hey, what we're going to do is I want you to do this and I can like palpate in there and be like, here is where I want you to be trying to feel it. And by me doing this on, say someone's lat or whatever muscle I'm trying to get them to, to utilize, all of a sudden it brings awareness there. Mm-hmm. But then I can also manipulate certain exercises to be able to go, well, this is what we're looking for. Now I want you to try and do that on your own without that um, sort of, oh, fuck, what's the word I'm looking for here? Intervention. Yeah. Yeah, and even even to the point where, if when they do start to understand what you're asking for, then them actually making their body do it is something completely different again. If someone's never been to the gym before, if they've been athletic in the past, they tend to adapt a little bit quicker in my experience. Yeah. But say like someone that didn't grow up playing sports or stopped playing sports at a young age and then didn't go to the, hasn't been to the gym for a long time. Dude, you tell them to do the most basic thing like a lat raise. They're like elbows end up near their ears and their hands are near their nipples. And you're like, that's not like what I just. Did- yeah, that's not. You watched me do this and then you did that. That's two completely different things. How do you. How do you think that's the same? And like, I've even trained people where I will literally stand there with them and be like, I want you to do this. And then they will do something that not even closely resembles what I did. But they're and they're watching themselves in the mirror. And then I could say, 
do you think that that was the same? And they'll be like, yeah. Like, no. See, that, like- was a, that was a long way off what I did. So it, when you're on in the online setting, that can take a long time to navigate those conversations and to bring them around to where you want them to be. Whereas if you're in person, it could literally just me be grabbing their wrists and saying, I want your wrist to move like this up mm-hmm. beside your body. And then once they feel it, it takes five seconds. Now they're doing it. Yeah. It's a massive, massive difference. So I, that's that's what I really like. And even especially from the coaching perspective as well of just learning how to communicate because yeah. you could be the best communicator on the planet. You can be adaptable. You could have great vocabulary. You could know what you're talking about. Communicating over the internet is a lot fucking different and a lot more difficult than communicating face-to-face for most people. I would agree. It's not natural. It's not It's not how humans are designed to communicate. So, and it, it, tone is gone. The facial expression is gone. You can't read the room. They can't, it's just, it's very black or white. You have to be very careful with the language you use, the context that you yeah, lots of cunts, <laughs> lots of fucks, yeah, lots of lots of emojis, rude fingers, everything. It's the only way to get your point across. Naturally, it's how you have to communicate to the kids these days. <laughs> Warm up to burr. <laughs> Fuck, Did you I like hate that you one. That. I hate you for that so much. I I got so many DM replies from that. Just being like, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I got it was. It was like five or six guys DM'd me and they were like, dude, we're so old. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. none of us knew what the fuck it means. I still don't know what the fuck it means. Well, I don't know what it means either. I think I did ask someone and I think it means like it's cold. Like, like, brr, like I'm cold. Like, this is cold. Like, you know, when... I think that's like the new way of saying it's like good. The new way of saying that it's hot is by saying it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Like when I was growing up, we used to say that's dope or that's sick. Yep. Or that's rad. They were like my three favorites. So we never really did the whole like rad thing down here unless we were talking about like Radelaide. What's that? Adelaide. Is it is it good? Adelaide? Is that why you said that? It's just what it's been called. If it happened to Radelaide, brah. Okay. <laughs> Not for but any yeah. reason in particular. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, there's some nice places in Adelaide, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, like, we did the whole, like, oh, yeah, like, that's sick. No, we're pretty basic. Yeah, I did dope a lot. I still say dope, to be honest. So I, I still say, like, oh, that's fucking sick. Like, oh, Yeah, I say sick a lot too. Yeah. But apparently the kids say that's cold. Or is it because it's like so good that it makes everyone look bad that it's like, oh, that's fucking, it's cold. That's cold, bruh. Fucking yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I look, honestly, I don't even know, oh. but I'm just going to keep using it. Just going to try and bridge the gap. You're the worst. Just going to try oh, and bridge the gap. friends. What do you hate more? Boomers 
Or, or like the younger generation, what triggers you more? I would. That's a hard one. It I is. Reckon, huh? I, I reckon it's probably younger kids. Yeah. Okay. Like, because at least when like when boomers say like something that's like really like outdated, it's like, well, it's probably just what it was like in your day. And you probably mm. just haven't adapted, you fucking dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when, like, kids these days come out with, like, and I, I, to be fair, I would imagine that, like, us sitting here and being like, oh, kids that these days with, like, their new slang, it's probably what our parents thought about, like, when we came home from school. And they're like, oh, de- it definitely like, is. What are these little cunts fucking talking about? Like, God, there's. Yeah. It's like, I can't believe these are my kids. Like, I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. But I literally, like, there have been times, like, I've been at a gym or something like that, and, you know, kids will come in, they'll be talking, and I'm like, like, what is wrong with you? Like, just speak English. Yeah. I know. Like, wh- why does, like, everything have to be, like, oh, like, I just. Is there a, a just, lot of esh- uh, is there a lot of essays in Melbourne? Certain areas, yeah, but like thankfully not not, not. where I live. Or it's more so. There are some around my area, that's for sure. Like almost on a daily we have Darrow dipshits that will do like just fucking sick cunt burnouts down the street. <laughs> I have that too. And I sit there every day and I go, I really hope they crash into a tree. <laughs> Or into like a pole or something where it's like it won't hurt anyone else. Just except there. for the dipshit driving the car. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the only reason I say that is like we have like an ambulance depot that's around like literally across the road. So I'm like, they're close to medical attention, like They'll be fine. They'll be fine. But like if you go down to like some of the main supermarkets around the area, like there are some fucking dipshits. Yeah, there's a lot here. Hmm. And like the- I, I see them, and I'm like, I'm not gonna even like look at them because they're all like, you know, half of them are in like gangs and shit. And they want to try and prove a point, and this is where I would be like, yeah, I have no qualms like beating the shit out of a 13 year old. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna you try, and- <laughs> yeah. You- yeah. But there'll be like you know, nine or ten of them in a group, and it's like, yeah. Do I reckon I could take nine or ten, thirteen-year-olds as long as they don't have like knives and weapons? Yeah, but they probably do these days. That's the oh, problem. Oh, they they absolutely do, and that's the problem. But like, I think it, I, they trigger me. Like, they trigger me a lot, but I actually think boomers probably trigger me a little bit more because the way I look at it is that these kids they're they're as annoying as they are to us because we're just cranky old men now. <laughs> They yeah. they are just like us when we were that age, just in a different time, right? Like we did all the dumb shit that kids our age did when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. It's just, and they're doing dumb shit too. It's just different dumb shit. Whereas, and th- I feel like they've got a chance because at this point in their life, they don't really know any better. They've got a chance to grow up and make something of their lives and do something different and not just be a fuckwit for their entire life. Whereas boomers, 
they're not changing, man. They are what they are. Th- mm. This is it. This is it for the rest of their life. And let me tell you, fucking hell, they frustrate me. Why? I don't know, but they trigger the shit out of me and I can't stand it. Is that because we can't <laughs> afford to buy houses because the boomers own like nine properties and they're like, oh, I need my holiday house. <laughs> I feel like they fucked everything. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but then like, I also look at the kids and I'm like, and like, I don't know if it's just because like, like obviously when we were growing up, like social media wasn't around. Like when I was in high school, it was like MSN Messenger. Mm-hmm. Like that was the shit. So I can mm-hmm. get home from school. So like I'm just going to jump on MSN Messenger. Like I'm just going to talk to babes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think the reason why like kids these days, and the funny thing is, I say kids these days, and it's a very much a blanket term, but I feel like it's just the whole like TikTok thing. Mm. I feel like while while TikTok is a thing, the kids don't have a fucking chance in hell. It definitely makes it harder. And like, it, I I think it actually makes it harder to be a kid too, to be honest. I don't I you couldn't pay me to be a teenager in this era with oh God no with, with the social media the way it is no. now. Because think about when you were at school. I was lucky enough that I was like kind of like the jock at all the schools that I was at. I played mm-hmm. footy um in in primary school. I, I played league but not for the school but i played cricket for the school um i was in uh, regional athletics regional swimming high school i played footy for both of my schools and i was like i was never bullied as a kid but i knew people that were and my sister was one of them and i just think at least when we went home it didn't follow us mm-hmm. and i look at kids now and dude like that they, they don't get a they don't get an escape. No. Like whatever they're going through at school, it comes home with them. It's on the internet. Everything follows them everywhere. It's just like, man, I would that I couldn't handle that. It'd be fucking rough. Especially at that age when your brain isn't really developed or it hasn't really developed the concepts of understanding like the bigger picture and zooming out and yeah. You know, you just don't know anything else other than what's right in front of your face and everything feels like it's going to just be like that forever. So I couldn't imagine how hard it would be to be a teenager at the moment. So I kind of have to cut them a little bit of slack because it's like, dude, I reckon it would be tough, hey? I think we got it pretty easy. I think we, like, I mean, you're, what, five years older than me? Yeah, I'm 38 this year. Yeah, so I mean, I'll be 34 this year, so yeah, like four years. Um, I think like I was probably like the cusp of like, like I look at my cousins and stuff that are like 18 now and obviously like, you know, 18, 33, like there's still 15 years difference there, mm-hmm. but like, it's just weird how much things have changed. Like, for example, like when you were a kid, like what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a firefighter. Okay. Or, or an NRL player. Yeah. Like so, for example, my mum works at a at a school here in Melbourne as like a um, support ed staff, and she's told me that like she talks to the kids, and she's like, most of them when they grow up want to be an influencer. Mm. And there's like a, I think it's a stat from the US where it's like seventy one or like seventy three percent of like kids in high school 
want to be like an influencer or like a TikToker. And it's like, no wonder the Western world is going to shit. Yeah, well, you look at you look at all the people that are like super, super famous at the moment. It's like mm. YouTubers, TikTokers. Yeah. You know, the podcasters. They're, they're podcasters like us, you know, like we're the next big thing. Fuck, mate, we already are the big thing. People yeah. just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like we're that big that Joe Rogan can't even mention us because of the royalties he would have to pay us. Like, he he wants to. <laughs> I know, know that, wants, that, I know he wants. I know he wants to mention the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe he's got to lift his game, and then we might get him on. I'll just send him a text. But, I was just like, "Come on, Joe! Like, what are you doing, brother?" Yeah, like, fine, we'll let you on, but yeah. under one condition: is you have to keep not mentioning us on your podcast because we just can't handle the raz that comes from it when you when you have before. Like, yeah, dude, we're fuck. gonna wait. We're gonna to wait to do twenty episodes before we got a guest, but I guess I we can get you we on. Let you on, yeah, make an I, exception. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. All right. I would actually, I would actually we, love we should to cut have this bit up and tag him on it. <laughs> oh yeah, I would fucking love to have a conversation with Joe Rogan. Oh, I think like because again, like, do you listen to his stuff much? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I listen to a lot of his stuff, and I just think he is just such like. It's not like his skill set or his knowledge is specific to like one area. Like it is so vast. Mm-hmm. But I, like I would also just love to watch him interview someone in real time. Mm-hmm. Like I think it would I would be able to learn a lot from just watching and observing. But I also think that I would be really interested to look at utilizing like nootropics and stuff while we do it to see if we can go like full tism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be dangerous. Like, is there a time cap on what we can upload? Because I reckon if we did that, we'd be in for like a whole day or something. Well, maybe we'll just. We should do it do when that. we do the in we, when we do the in person thing. Yeah, I, I was just about to mention that. I'm like, oh, we said not to mention it yet. <laughs> no, no <laughs> other details. No other details nah. or details to come. Yes, but uh, yeah, I think. Um, I I really like Joe Rogan. I think Joe yeah. Rogan's a super smart dude. In like you said, in a lot of different subjects, he holds himself well. The thing I love most about Joe Rogan, I think he's an exceptional communicator. Yeah, and conversationalist specifically, the way that he can hold a conversation, be active in the conversation but also drive the conversation without it feeling like he's driving it in any certain direction is fucking unparalleled. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he's probably the best at it. One of. He's he's up, he's definitely top five. Absolutely. Do you listen to Lex Friedman? I have a little bit, yeah. So Lex, I mean, Lex runs a very similar show in the sense that it's like, it's a long format. Like some of his episodes go for like fucking five or six hours. It's fantastic. But the one thing I've like, I was like, when, like when you look at like, say Rogan's show, like there are some where it's like, you know, we'll have scientists and researchers and that sort of stuff. And then it might be an episode where he's getting like 
absolutely obliterated stone with his mates and they're just talking shit for three hours. So pretty much just yep. like, he's just copied what we do. Um, yeah, copycat. Yeah. Um, when like Lex is on his show, they're like, he talks quite monotonous like this. It's usually, you know, researchers, scientists, reporters, that sort of thing. But it's always, I feel like one thing we do really well, I feel like most of the time when we're talking, kind of, just, it's like we're just having a chat between you and I and we just happen to be recording. Mm-hmm. When Lex does his episodes, I, I feel like you're getting to sit in on a conversation between like two friends. Like mm-hmm. he interviews exceptionally well. Yep. And I think... Dennis- Sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, you go. Um, I think that's probably the thing I've noticed about like the shows that I like the most. It's always what feels like an organic conversation and doesn't feel too like curated. Yeah, I really like that too. I think the thing I like the most about Joe's conversations though is that it is with such a broad spectrum of people and a broad spectrum of topics. Mm-hmm. Some can be serious. Some are a bit funny. Some are a mixture of both. Some he agrees with the point of view of the guest. Others Challenges. he predominantly disagrees and is able to still hold the conversation but but challenges the point of view in a way where it doesn't feel overly confrontational, yep. yet you still know that he's challenging it but the conversation still moves forward. Mm-hmm and still gets deeper and deeper as the episode goes. Yeah. I just think there's so many levels and layers to what he does that that the listener doesn't really even pick up on because it's so smooth and seamless. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do it in so many different settings, like even those episodes where he's just getting blasted with his mates and they're laughing the whole time, he's still driving that conversation. There's no sort of awkward silences. They're seamlessly moving from topic to topic. It's still coherent enough that it, it creates an episode with a, some sort of structure. Yeah. Like, he's pretty fucking brilliant, dude. Oh, I think he is, like, he would probably be in my top three people that I would love to have dinner with. Yeah, me too. Like, in fact, in fact, here's oh, a fun and- question for you. If you had to pick three people dead or alive to have dinner with, who would they be? Joe would be mm-hmm. one. Joe Rogan. Um, okay, I'll let you go up to five if you want. Okay, Joe Rogan, Kobe, mm-hmm. Hitler. Mm-hmm. I think that would be super interesting. Not because I like what he did, but I just feel like it would be interesting to ask his perspective. Yeah, agreed. And just be like, dude, like, what were, what were you actually thinking? Like, how did you envision this turning out? Mm. Um, I think that would be super interesting. Um, that would be my three. Okay. Uh if I went to five, who'd be two more? I don't know, man. That's a really hard question, hey? Mm. 
maybe maybe like a president, maybe someone like JFK. Yep. Who was kind of in power at the height of America being its like, ultimate superpower. Mm-hmm. I feel like around that era there was a lot going on that the public probably didn't know about or knew about but was lied to. So I, th- I think maybe JFK, that would be an interesting Are one. Are you suggesting I mean, that he got us- lies to us and there might be some conspiracy <laughs> theories? Yeah, I am. Nice. <laughs> I, and I think that I think JFK probably got assassinated for a reason that where that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be interesting to find out. And I think he probably knew exactly why. So I think it would be interesting to have a conversation with him about what he knew mm-hmm. and what he was planning or what was going on in the world that led to that. One more. Or someone, I would be super interested to sit down with someone like from from like history, from like the like the like the Viking Greek days when that was like the the big thing. Like someone, someone prominent from that era. Yep. I don't really know who they are, but I think that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like someone like Julius Caesar or something like that. Yeah. I feel like it would be really cool to sit down and just be like, dude, tell me. Tell me everything. What was it like? What was your life like? What was the world like? Yeah. You know, did you guys think that the world would be like it is now? Mm. Or did you did you think it would stay the same? You know, what was it like before you? We don't really know a whole lot about that. Mm. I feel like those that would probably be my five. Nice. What about you? Uh, Robin Williams for sure. Oh, that's a fucking good one. Like when you mentioned, like you cried when Kobe passed away. I mm-hmm. bawled my fucking eyes out when the news of his passing came. And pretty much any time I do you know? I'm- Sorry, go on. Go no. So go. Like, pretty much any time I watch a Robin Williams movie, I always like sob. He's brilliant, hey. You know I met him? Fuck off, really? Yeah, swear to God. There, so when I lived in, sorry to cut in, but this is cool. When I lived in America, I lived in a place called Yontville, mm-hmm. which it's uh, in the Napa Valley, which is about an hour and a half, two hours north of Sydney. So kind of think like a north of San Francisco. So think like Newcastle to Sydney. Yeah. Same sort of um, distance. Distance. Um, I lived in a place that's just kind of up the highway from Napa City called Yontville. So the way it works is from Napa, you've got two highways. You've got Highway 29, which is like a really straight highway that goes from Napa, the town, up the valley to a, a town called Calistoga, which is at the end of the valley. And then it goes up over the mountain. And then on the other side of the the valley you've got another highway called Silverado Trail which is like a a squiggly trail and they both kind of meet at the end at Calistoga and then they both go over the mountain so it's just two roads that go straight up the valley right yeah off highway 29 
in the opposite direction to the Silverado Trail is one road that goes up the mountain and it's called Oakville Trail. And it goes up to a little town on the top of the mountain called Oakville. This is in the middle of wine country. Mm-hmm. At the bottom of that road is a little grocery store called like Oakville, Oakville Deli or something like that, right? It's just on the side of Highway 29. No one ever goes there because it's like in the middle of two towns on off the highway. Up in Oakville, there's not a whole lot of shit. It's pretty small. There's like 10 houses and a, not even a grocery store. It's just like this little place, right? Oakville Deli had the best deli sandwiches in the valley. I freaking loved them, man. So I went in there one day to buy a deli sandwich. Robin Williams was standing in there. It was literally me and him standing in this tiny shop as big as my office. And I'm like looking at him and he had a massive beard. Like massive. Mm. Like looking at him like, damn, that dude looks so familiar. And I'm just kind of like looking at him and I'm trying not to stare. And it was kind of awkward because it was just me and him in the deli. I'm like trying to look, but also trying to not make it obvious that I'm looking. And then and it clicked, and I'm like, I think that's Robin Williams. I'm like, oh my God, he doesn't have a beard though. Maybe it's not him. And then the the server is like, Stephen, your sandwich is ready, and gives this guy his sandwich, and he walks away. And I'm like, it wasn't Stephen. It was just some random name, right? And I'm like, Stephen. Uh, mustn't I don't I don't know any Stevens. Mustn't be him. As I'm looking at him though, as he walks out, he kind of looks at me and I kind of look at him and he just kind of like smiles and nods and walks away. And I'm like, that's awkward. Maybe I do know him. It's just like this weird interaction. Yeah. And then I I leave and um I went and played golf and then I went back to my apartment. And I was talking to my roommate. I said, man, I just. Had the weirdest thing this morning. Like, I swear I saw this guy and it looked so much like Robin Williams, but he had a massive beard. And I think it might have just been a guy that I knew, but do I know anyone that looks like Robin Williams? He's like, oh, no, it's probably him, dude. He lives up at Oakville. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and my mate was, um, he owns a wine touring company in the Valley. And he, because he's an ex Marine, he also is the, he, at the time, he was the only wine tour company that had a, license to conceal carry in the valley so he would do wine tours slash private security for famous people he kind of knew like where everyone was and what was going on in the valley and he was like yeah dude he owns a property up at oakville and that's where he kind of goes to get away nice so that was my that was my little like brush with robin williams nice and i feel like he kind of knew that i was recognizing him by the little like smile and nod but i didn't say anything Mm. to him yeah, nice. Who else? Um, so obviously, like, Rogan would be one, Robin Williams, uh, Alex Hamozzi. I think I'd mm. love to sit down and, like, just listen. Mm-hmm. If thinking of historical figures, Genghis Khan. Well, that would be a great one, too. Yep. I'm going to go over five, though, because I've got a couple. Another one would be, like, Either like Socrates or like Marcus Aurelius or someone like uh, like a mm. uh, an ancient philosopher. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I would love to speak to someone like Cleopatra, but mm-hmm. also someone. So I, I think I'm recalling this correctly. I think we're closer to Cleopatra's time than Cleopatra was to when the pyramids were built. I would love to be able to go back in time and speak to the person who actually designed the pyramids. Yeah, I was just going to say that. When you think of... So you want to talk to aliens? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because I was going to say, like, when you think of, like, (laughs) the positioning of them, how they're in line on, like, is it the equator they're in line with or... Dude, they weren't designed by humans. You know that, right? They, they can't have been. Like, no. They weren't designed or built by humans. I can tell you right now. But like, my thing is, like, I would just love to go back to when they were built and actually just go, I now have an answer as to how. It's incredible. When you look at the precision of the engineering and that, like, you can't even slide, like, a piece of paper in between the blocks. And, you know, some of these weigh, like, 50 tons. Yeah, so let me ask you this. Do you think the pyramids were built and then the tunnels and caves within the pyramids were cut? Or do you think the stones were cut to have the pyramids and caves and tunnels in them and then laid in a way that you know made them the way they are? Oh, I think the way that they were done, again, I'm... I'm very much of the belief that the pyramids weren't built or designed by humans. Yeah, me too. But if they were, so if they were designed by humans, you would, it would have to be done one of two ways. Yeah. They would have to have solid stones, mm-hmm. make the pyramids with, with the solid blocks, and then go through and cut out all of the tunnels and rooms, right? Or the other way is that they design it beforehand to have all the tunnels and room that they want and then pre-cut the blocks and then lay them in a specific order. I would say the latter. Really? See, that's but that's even a whole nother level. I know. But, like, purely looking at it from a construction perspective, like, obviously, like, our modern construction now, we don't build a solid skyscraper and then cut out all the shit in the middle. Like, we, it gets built in layers and all the things are cut in Mm -hmm. place. And it's like the next layer goes on and everything's... I, I would imagine if humans did build the pyramids, it would have been a cool, well, we dig out X amount of foundations to lay all the shit we need to do for all the tunnel systems that are, that, that are going to be included in that. And then we're going to put in our first layer of stones and we're going to sort of build it a later a time. But again, when you look at the absolute precision... fucking aliens built it. Yeah, I can't see a way. I think you're probably right. If it was humans, that's probably the only way that that it could have been done because they didn't have cutting utensils to be able to bore out tunnels through solid sandstone at, at that time, you know? Like, they would have been doing it with chisels. Even when apparently, like, they discuss... Because, I mean, there's... There has been like a little, I think it might be the Sphinx actually, that's actually been like 
dated back to like 30,000 years ago or something obnoxious like that. Like apparently it's meant to be a lot older than than with it's sort of been dated as. And when you think of like the invention of cutting tools and how far back that goes and where it actually lines up on our, our history line, it's really interesting when you be like, well, you're saying it was that we've cut these blocks and that we've moved them from like a quarry, you know, a thousand miles away and brought them down here. When they take the size blocks that they're using and they try and put them on like dump trucks and the trucks can't carry them. I was like, how the fuck, I was like, how the fuck are you trying to tell us that like the dump trucks that we use in the mines can't carry these fucking blocks yet you're trying to tell us that like a few thousand slaves built this fucking structure. <laughs> I know. And then like, again, this is where like, I find like, like the history of earth to be incredibly fascinating. If you look at someone like, um, Graham Hancock, who did his, um, there's a, like a documentary he's done, like Apocalypse or something like that. But pretty much he talks about there being like a big missing chunk of human civilization and that pretty much when you go back 11,800 years ago, there was a, a massive catastrophic event that wiped out a bunch of our, our civilization. If you mm-hmm. like, if you look at all the ancient texts like the Bible, Quran, apparently all these different things, they all speak of like a great flood that happened around about 12,000 years ago. Yeah. Even like, like if you go down the, the rabbit hole of like Atlantis and they talk about where it is in terms of like, like, oh, we haven't been able to find Atlantis, rah, rah, rah. But then they sort of like follow some of the information that they do have about like, oh, this is where it could have been. There's something called like the eye of the Sahara, Sahara that pretty much fits the descriptions of what it is. And when you look at it on a map, it's like a massive fucking crater. And it looks like something has just like <laughs> gone and like scooped out this section and like gotten rid of it. Whether it's that or like meteor impact or whatever it is, you look at it and you're like, oh, fuck, like I'm about to go down a real deep rabbit hole here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty much what I spend the most so of my time doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a rap. Oh, man, I could keep going down that rabbit hole yeah. for days. But the way this originally started was talking about boomers versus Young kids, which and we ended up at <laughs> aliens and pyramids. <laughs> we ended up that's, at aliens and that's pyramids. So typical of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think I think that's probably why boomers trigger me a little bit more <laughs> is because I feel like they 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 know better. They should know better. Mm-hmm. Yet they don't, and that's that. I think that's what bothers me. Whereas with the kids. I feel like they're a little bit more a product of their environment. They're they're not young enough to know any better yet. They're and they're just kind of acting in a way that their peers are acting and that seems to get them a lot of attention on the internet, mm-hmm. which is really all anyone cares about these days, unfortunately. Yep. Which probably is a really good segue to our first topic. Of the content. Content. Yeah. And so I think it's probably a good place to just start the actual podcast. <laughs> 75 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, we talk a True lot. form. I want to do an entire podcast 
on pyramids. Oh, can we? Yeah, should we just start a second podcast? A conspiracy podcast? Oh, or do you no. want to just do it here? Yes. No, let's do a second podcast. So for all of our listeners, if you want to see the other side of Ben and Nick that doesn't talk about strength training at all, we're going to start a second podcast where we just get completely blasted and talk about conspiracies. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, <laughs> what we should do with that one is we should do that one in person. So we'll fly either way and we'll take like a bunch of like LSD or something like that, <laughs> smoke yeah. a fuckload of weed. <laughs> And let's just be like, fucking man, have you thought about this? <laughs> yeah, I could probably only I could probably only do two of those a year. We'll record for like twenty four hours straight. We'll only need to record <laughs> that's, twice that's, a year. <laughs> that's 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 probably that's probably all my body can handle at this point. Yeah, I feel that. But no, that that would be like that would be chaotic as fuck, man. But it would yeah, be fun. I think it'd be fun yeah. though. But I think, yeah, so in terms of content, it can be a pretty slippery slope. Yep. So what I've found is I do want to just mention I really don't enjoy making content. Me either. It's actually the part of my job that I least like Mm -hmm. uh, by far. So... Um. Yeah, but I just do it because obviously, like, it's part of our job to do. So that's it's you know you take the good with the bad. Yep. Um. So I do it. I just what I'm trying to do at the moment is obviously doing this podcast has provided a really nice way for us to put content out that's really valuable. Agreed. And easy to make um, because it's very in a in a conversational tone. Um, we can get our point across nicely, um, and it doesn't feel like a chore to make. Um, I much prefer the long format content, like the actual full podcast and the entire conversation from start to finish that we have. Yeah, but I also think that it's providing a lot of really valuable short form content as well in the the form of reels with you know, with some context given to it mm-hmm. that that might not paint a full picture in itself but has started a lot of really valuable conversations. Yep. So I'm enjoying that. Um, training training videos um, but with with value added I think have been something that I've been trying to lean into a little bit. Um, and then just like little little tips and tricks that I can pick up from like my own training videos that I think would be valuable for for other people. Like I, I I'm trying to think of like just sharing as much as possible, you know. Yep. Um, but the, without trying to like create, if that makes sense, it's almost like just document the journey. Yeah, and just just share my thoughts mm-hmm. and my feelings on things, 
and where I stand on certain topics. And if people resonate with that, fantastic. And if they don't, sweet. I don't. I don't mind either way. It's. I just. I find that to be the the best. Yeah. Because I can't. I can't just stand in front of a camera and be like, "All right, we're going to shoot three reels today, and these are going to be the topics. Let's talk about them." Because it's just. It's. It's. It's not me. I don't like. There's no context as well. Yeah, that's always been the thing that stopped me from doing it. Is like. I don't want to say this because this might be right for five people, but it might also be the complete opposite thing that another five people might need to do. Mm. So I kind of felt, I kind of felt like almost negligent putting information out there without context because it's like some people might say, oh, well, like Nick said, I need to do this, but those people might not need to do it. We've had a, we had a couple of discussions around this when I was living up um, in Newcastle with you. Um, like we ha- this came up in conversation a few times, where it's like the challenge is like you might sit there and go, "Oh well, you know, we need to look for X, Y, and Z when we're doing a squat or bench or deadlift or whatever it might be," but it doesn't apply to everyone, and that's always going to be the hard thing. Is and I think like. As much as I don't like to be the kind of person that's like, hey, there's a warning on this, like just a heads up, rah, rah, rah. I think there also needs to be a responsibility on the consumer side to go, mm-hmm. this is general advice for advice mm-hmm. specific to you. Book a consult. Then I can give you some advice mm-hmm. that's relative to your situation based on the process of that assessment. But I think if we are just looking at going, hey, we're going to give some people, you know, like as much as I, again, don't love these videos, but they're like, you know, here's five tips to immediately improve your squat. Like, mm-hmm. sure, it's not going to be applicable to everyone. But I think most people should be aware that like advice they get off the internet is not directed entirely towards them. Directly at them as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think of it more as don't take this as advice, but maybe consider it. Mm. And if you're unsure of if it applies to you or not, start a conversation with me. Like I'm, I literally take the view of I just I want to share my thoughts and feelings on things, sh- share my views on things. And if they apply to you and if they help you and if they make you think about something in a slightly different way, then that's awesome. If they don't, that's that's completely okay. And if you're unsure of if they do or if they don't, I want I want my content to start conversations. Mm. Like my literally my goal at the moment is to have as many conversations in my DMs as possible per day. Yeah. Like that's that's quite literally my goal. Mm-hmm. So the the content that I'm putting out, like it, it, it might not apply to you. It might apply to you. It might apply to you today, but not in six weeks. I literally like, I just want to start conversations with people and I want to talk to as many people as I possibly can because I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. Um, content that I'm consuming though is not a lot off Instagram, mm-hmm. almost nothing to be honest. Um, I've, 
find when I'm on Instagram at the moment, I'm either posting something, sharing a story, answering a question, or I'm having conversations in my DMs. I'm generally not just scrolling, which has got me into trouble a few times recently because I've just completely missed Emma's posts Mm -hmm. and haven't put love hearts under it, which got me in a lot of trouble. As it should. Yeah, so I have post notifications on for those ones yeah, now, smart so man. I don't miss them smart again. Man. Yeah, so I'm generally not scrolling, but I am still consuming content because it's 2024 and what else do we do with our lives? Mm-hmm. So it's generally through um, podcasts. Yep. I really like listening to podcasts as much as possible. It's through... The courses that the course in particular that I'm taking at the moment and the textbook that's included with that, I find that to be an extremely valuable resource that I'm really enjoying. Yep. And the do you know what mass is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I probably primarily like look through there. Just if I have some spare time, I'll just look through that and just nerd yep. out. That's pretty much my main sources of, of content. Um, I haven't been on Facebook. I can't even remember like a really long time. Yeah, I'm not that active on Facebook anymore either. No. I go on Messenger because we have um, a family group chat on there, but actual like Facebook itself, I'll, I'll occasionally go and look at Marketplace. Mm-hmm. But like to, I don't, I never ever just scroll, scroll Facebook feed. I usually scroll Instagram first thing in the morning while I'm having coffee, Mm -hmm. just before I leave the house for like 10 minutes. And that's probably it for the entire day until I'll probably do like maybe half an hour at night. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, nice. What about you? Um, as far as like content that I'm consuming, I I really like podcasts that have nothing to do with the fitness industry. And I feel like a lot of the content that I do consume outside of like actual specific education that I choose to pursue, I feel like none of it is fitness industry related. Like I've got a few friends that are like you know, yourself and a few other people that like have their brands that I still like allow their posts and stuff to come through. But there's a lot of people I follow on, on Instagram where it's like, I just mute their stuff because I'm like, I don't need to consume it. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously as far as like time on Instagram, like occasionally we, I I use the term occasionally very loosely. I go down a real, (laughs) I go down a real hole. (laughs) But honestly, like, (laughs) <laughs> very loosely, very loosely. Uh, but I mean like some of the content that I do come across when I go down those is a phenomenal way for, for me to start conversations so sometimes mm-hmm. like, I might share you know I might just share something that's just, just fucking funny mm-hmm. and then people will like react to it and it's like oh a story that had absolutely fucking nothing to do with coaching has gotten heaps of engagement. It's like awesome. It might be, 
you know, an athletic feat from a sport that's got nothing to do with powerlifting or strength training. That's just wild. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at some of the the African guys in terms of how fast they're running these like ultra marathons, and it's like that as a feat of athleticism is insane. Like insane. I don't know if you saw the um the video that Jordan posted the other day of the ice hockey mm-hmm. guy doing his lap. That was so Dude, I watched that probably probably twenty five times. It's come up in my feed a few times since then from like different like sources and like you watch it and it's like cool. Like we don't work with hockey players necessarily in terms of you know coaching them to be better at hockey, but like you watch it from a like an S and C and like athleticism perspective, and you're like, holy shit. That guy Wow. So freaky, hey! Incredible, but like, even when you watch, like, I mean, like some of the stuff I like to nerd out on every once in a while is like you watch the guys who when they do their combine testing, and they mm-hmm. might do like I think it's like their forty yard dash, yeah. And you've got these guys that are like six six, like two hundred seventy five, three hundred pounds, absolutely just hammering it. You're like, someone that big should not be that fast. I oh, know. Did you see that guy's dick fell out of his pants when he was doing yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> How good was that? Yeah. He had to take like the dive, and then he's like, "I just got to make sure my cock's still back in my pants." <laughs> oh, that's the best combine moment of all time. Absolutely. Like, you know, you look at the guys when like they do their bench press testing, and it's like you obviously got like you know hundred kilos for reps, mm-hmm. and it's always really fun to like look at the leaderboard and be like, oh. With me, with my best set at 100 kilos, where would I fall here? It's like, I don't even come close to cracking, like, top 10. And they're not strength athletes. They're college kids. Who are just- They're kids. They're kids. But they make us look like- They're They make us look like children. They're that fucking, like, developed. Yeah, um, those guys are unbelievable. Yeah. But, like, I think, you know- the, actually, the co- one of the coolest reels I've seen recently was that Christian McCaffrey one that I sent mm-hmm. you. So do you remember that? You sent me the reel of his trainer talking about how how he coaches him in the weight room and it's not like he doesn't do any any like um you know standard movements it's all like really weird positions and explosive movements and no conditioning yeah. work beyond like 5 10 seconds it's just like quick bursts yeah. stacked on top of each other over and over and over and over and over again in weird positions yeah. and then it was probably like a week or two later he scored a freaky touchdown in a playoff game and did you watch that reel that I sent you? And he caught like the position that he caught and it was like almost exactly the kinds of positions that he got coached in. Yeah. So like he ran, so he's a running back. So he got handed the ball from the quarterback and he kind of like went through the defensive line. So like the, the D line at the front, the big guys, mm-hmm. and he hit a, he hit a seam through there. And then just as he was like, he was kind of going a little bit to the right and then he, he like jinked off his right foot, but then as he did that, another defender came in front of him, and he kind of like put his left foot down, but then put his right foot down like straight away and like jinked off it again, and kind of like it was like a double step, and then off his left foot to straighten up, 
straight through the gap. He beat like six guys yeah. within three Which steps. Is insane. It was, and he was his body angle when he was doing it was at forty five degrees from his hips from his hips up, but his t- but his hips down was just perfectly moving mm. on its own. It was just so nice. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think that kind of stuff's really I think cool. It's fascinating. But I think like on the other mm. end of it, like I've I've noticed that there's certain content that comes up in my feed that I just loathe watching. Like sorry. <laughs> Why <are you> apologizing? <laughs> oh, it's not my content. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, like the stuff that like annoys me is like like again, like I follow a lot of business people and they're they're all like, oh like, you know, here's like a day in the life with me. And it's like the fact that they like will get up in the morning go to the other side of the room, they put their phone down, record them like waking up and getting out of bed. It's like, do you really, like that. anything that's really staged like that, I, oh, like it grinds my gears in a way that like I can't begin to express. And then another thing that mm. I, cause like obviously I, you know, I like to consume a lot of stuff around like, you know, mental health and awareness and that sort of stuff. When people post videos of themselves crying, I don't know why, but it makes me really uncomfortable. It triggers me, to be honest. Like, I can be sitting there having a conversation with a friend, and if they're going through a really hard time and they they start tearing... Like, I think there was a, an episode of Theo's podcast where he was... I can't remember the name of the guy he had on, but he's, like, a really, really well-known... Sean yeah. Strickland. And he, like, starts getting really emotional, and Theo's just like... Like it's it's okay. I'm like I'm here with you. I think yeah, we can talk about it yeah, or not. Like if we can, if you want to talk about it, like we can talk about it. And if not, like I'm I'm here with you. And he just lets him sit in that vulnerability. And I think that is like I that does that's not curated content. That's a mm. cool. Two guys are having a really cool conversation. One of them like asks a question that makes the other one have to reflect on something that obviously hit him pretty hard from an emotional perspective. That's real. Mm-hmm. That for me, I'm like, I love watching content like that. But mm-hmm. when someone's like, oh, I'm getting a bit emotional. I'm going to film myself so that I've got content to post. I'm like, I'm like, that feels really inauthentic. Mm-hmm. I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know. It, just- it, it, almost, it almost feels like attention attention grabbing off of a really serious subject. Yeah. Like and I get it, like I think this might be a big difference between like men and women. But like if someone's filmed themselves crying, I'm like, are you actually that upset? That you can be sitting there going like yeah. like I know for me, like when I cry, like I'm not gonna be sitting there going, you know what? This right now will make ten out of ten content. If I'm crying, it's like I'm going through some shit. The last thing that I I want right now is a bunch of strangers having access to this. Like this for me is yeah, it's private. It's obviously mm-hmm. you know quite an emotional topic. Like I don't want 
every like I want my friends to know that I'm having a fucking hard time, and that's usually where I'll miss. Like, you know, there have been days like a oh, fuck. On was Thursday, and I'm like, hey man, like I I, re- I want to fucking have a hissy fit. Like, I've got all the shit I'm trying to find. I can't fucking find it. I'm I'm getting really annoyed and frustrated right here. Mm-hmm. Like that's not something that I mean. Obviously, like I'm talking about it now, like in sort of like in hindsight, but that's not the kind of thing where you know I'm going to post a video of me like in the corner of my room with like my head like in my hand like that, with like tears running down my face. Having a bad day. And be like, no. guys, like I'm having a really bad day because shit's a little bit overwhelming at the moment. I just want to let you know that like it's okay to be overwhelmed. Like you just have to keep going. Like sure, the sentiment is nice and like. But again, like I think for for me, I think for you as well, and probably the people that we tend to associate with, that it's like it's more like cool. We might post like a video of training, but like yeah, life is going to get hard. Let's do things that are conducive to getting ourselves out of that, rather than sitting in it and going, oh shit, life sucks. Like I think sort of yeah. going full circle back to what we we're talking about at the start in terms of, you know, like if you've got like a friend that's always negative, it's like, cool. Well, like if you don't like your life, do something about it. Yeah, of course. You're the only one that can change yeah, it. It's like, you know, with the job that I was working, I was complaining about that job every fucking day, but I was actively applying for, you know, other things to get me out of it. And when like things just weren't coming to fruition, I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to take responsibility. Like, I'm going to go back into working for myself. I'm going to do these things. Fuck it. I quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I don't know how, but it seems like social media has become almost more real than real life. But people can curate exactly what they want people to experience. But that's what I mean, right? Like one of the things that's really triggering me at the moment is this whole, like, you know, when everyone was doing the That's a Wrap 2023 reels, like everyone was using that same sound and it was like, and that's a wrap. Mm -hmm. And it like showed all the highlights of the year. There was this thing going around that... Apparently, because it was a highlight reel and obviously that's what Instagram is for the most part, right? It's just, it's a highlight reel of of parts of people's lives, days that they want you to see mm-hmm. um, or that they want to remember themselves. And most of the time that's not going to be bad or, or sad times, right? Yep. But because it was a highlight reel of all of these positive moments from the year, apparently you had to put a trigger warning on the post or a, or a, a content warning to say, hey, guys, this is a highlight reel post. And obviously, this is just highlighting all of the good times. But this is social media and we only show the good times. There was also bad times too, and it's okay if you have bad times. Well, like, no fucking shit. Like, at what point did society become this thing where we're not allowed to show the good parts of our lives without putting a trigger warning on it 
for people, for other people to not get triggered that, that we've had a good year. Yeah. Like at what point did society get to that? I think it's just very typical of like Australian culture as well. Like the whole tall poppy syndrome where like, you know, oh, just because like I've had a bad year, it means that you can't have one. Like, like frankly, I find it when people have that perspective, I'm like, you're just fucking selfish. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, I'll give you a really, really fun example. Back before the world shit itself in 2020, I had one client in particular that I worked with who was a co-founder for a um, like a one of those like online coin things where you can buy um, like Bitcoin and other coins and shit like that. Mm-hmm. That company is worth a lot of money. They also had mm-hmm. another su- subsection of that where they did like online security for people doing trading. So like they were obviously working with enough sort of financial side of things where they all like all the directors weren't allowed to be on the same flight together. Like that's so serious money. Um you know, yep. and I remember like so one of his best friends was his business partner and I was at, we were at training one day and I was I'm like, oh like you know what's what's coming up for you this week? And he's like, oh, you know, like I I went, um, I bought my best mate, who's, you know, as you would know, is like my business partner. You know, I bought him a gift for his 40th. I was like, oh, cool. Like, where'd you get him? And he's like, oh, you know, his wife and I, we went Harvey's and we bought him like a really rare Lamborghini. And I'm like, <laughs> nice. I'm like, that's fucking sick, dude. I'm like, What'd you get? And he like he showed me a photo. I'm like, oh, dude, like that's fucking sick. He's like, yeah, it's like one of two in Australia. And I'm like, dude, that's I'm like so that's good. fucking awesome. Like, you know, like another one of the guys I train, like, you know, he he really enjoys to collect rare cars as well. That that's really fucking cool. And he's like, yeah, it's, you know, like it's, you know, costs a bit, but you know, it's was, it was good, good fun. I'm like, I'm like, oh, like if if you don't mind me asking, I'm like, how much did it cost you? And he's like. It's like I actually really don't feel comfortable saying. I'm like, I'm like that. that that's cool, man. I'm like, just I'm like, like obviously I'm like, I'm not going to press it, but I'm like, just so you are aware, I don't care how much money you make. Like, I get excited. Like, for example, I had a client that used to be, you know, in property, and he came in one day and he was like, "My like, God, oh, how are you today?" And he's like, "Man, I'm, I'm really fucking good." I'm like. Okay, that's the first time I've ever heard that response from me. Like, why so good? And he's like, oh, well, we closed on an $8 million deal today. I'm like, nice. Nice. I had another client that used to, that came in at one point in time and he's like, yeah, like, we finally sold all the paperwork, or like, like, finished all the paperwork to, like, to sell our company. I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, did you, did you do all right? And he goes, oh, well, it was a nine figure contract. So we've, we've done all right. I'm like, okay. Fuck yeah. Beautiful. But like, for me, like I, I said to this guy, I'm like, you know, dude, I'm like, if you're able to go and spend three, four, six, seven million dollars on the car, like I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, I can't afford that on a car. So fuck you. I'm going to be like, fuck yeah, dude. Like you're obviously doing fucking really well. You've found something that's allowed you to build the kind of wealth that lets you then go and spend like five or six million on a car. I'm like, dude, fuck yeah. Like bang, high five. Like. That's something to celebrate. That's not something for for people to get annoyed over. Like, you know, like I've got 
friends of mine that are, you know, that build their businesses and they're like, you know, we want to get to a point where we're doing like seven figure months. I'm like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking sick. Like yeah. I feel I agree. You know, if like I feel like you and I'll eventually get to a point like where we're having discussions around be like, oh like, you know, like how's your month been? And it's not like a did mm-hmm. you have a good or a bad month in terms of like how was your day to day stuff? It's like how was your month this year, this week, or how was your month this month? Um, but it'll be like a like did you beat your financial targets that you hit last year? Mm-hmm. Like going into this new role at this new location. Like I have my weekly financial targets that I want to achieve within like the first like two, three months being there. But yep. I'm like, once I've done that, it's like I'm gonna to have to figure out ways that I can eventually look at like doubling down on that and improving it significantly. Mm-hmm. And when you look That's when things become interesting. Yeah. And that's obviously where like I sit there and I go, Well, you know, to get to a point where you know, you're making like a couple of grand a week. Like to like someone in the fitness industry, like, you know, it's always nice that you do your first like thousand dollar week, you're like, fuck yeah. And then you do like your first two thousand dollar week, you're like, fuck yeah. And then you do first like three thousand dollar week, you're like, fuck yeah. But you've got some people that are making like hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. And you're like, Oh, we haven't even scratched the surface here. Mm-hmm. Um like, and I think getting to a point where, like, you know, you start to develop and you start to, like, I know some people that make, like, very little money and you speak to them about, like, oh, like, you know, even, like, my old job that I was in, like, I would be like, oh, yeah, like, this is my fucking take home pain. It's fucking shit. And they're like, oh, well, that's still 40% more than what I take home. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. cool. So, like, in other words, you've just told me I can't have a conversation with you about financial stuff. Because you are one of those people that will get salty if I talk about success, especially when it comes to like anything yeah. monetarily. Whereas I feel yeah. like if you've got people around you where you can go, you know what? I just had my first $10,000 a week. Mm-hmm. And those people that are going to be like, that's fucking amazing, dude. Now let's go to a $15,000 a week. They're the people you, yeah. want around, you want to have in your corner. Yeah, of course. It's literally exactly like coming back to what we we're talking about right at the yeah. start. It's who you surround yourself with is who you become. Because if you surround yourself with those people that are negative and don't want to see you succeed, which there tends to be a lot of them. Do you know what? After living in America for such a long time, yeah. there's there's a lot of those people in Australia. Like it's the the amount of of that mindset that's in this country is not normal. Even when I have spent very limited time with my friends that are American, if they're in a position where they can help you out and they can give you like the whole like looking down, like, hey, look, I've got a hand that I can now straight. I mean, look, you obviously, I'm obviously not going to go into specific details here, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. When someone's like, hey, you know Mm -hmm. what? I can give you a helping hand to help you up to that next level that you want to be at because I'm here and this is where you want to be. Come on, let's go. There's mm-hmm. enough room on the table for everyone to eat. But again, yeah. it's like that whole mentality of all ships rise with the tide, right? Yeah. I mean, it's such a big believer of that. It's actually one of my little like life mottos that I live by. Yeah. But I think like, especially here in Australia, it's the whole like, oh, I want to see you do well, but I don't want to see, but not, it but not better than me. Hmm? 
not better than yeah. me. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's a weird demographic. I've, I had one client I used to work with a couple of years ago. And I remember like, so this is the same client that had the, the nine figure um, contract for his company. And I remember like when we first started working together, like within, I think three sessions of like working together, I was like, I have a question. It was like, what's up? I'm like, will you mentor me? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, so like, I've known this guy for a long time as well. Um, and I'm like, you obviously know what it takes to build a large business. I want to be able to get my business to a point where, like not necessarily to a point where it's valued at nine figures, but like, you know, where it's doing some like some good money and I want to be in a position where like, you know, the business kind of like works in a way that like I dictate, not necessarily being like, oh, well, I just need to take the money because like I'm struggling to make ends meet. Like I want to, I want, I want to try and, you know, build some wealth for myself. Mm-hmm. And we, like, he was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, what sort of like thing do you have in mind? I was like, well, what I was kind of hoping we could do is like maybe have like a, a catch up once a month where you set me some like some goals that I need to work for the month and you kind of just give me a bit of advice be like oh like you know it's like oh well you know you might need another you know 10 clients here's here's someone for you to give a phone call to and they're going to set you up with you know some people that might be able to help you with this like your job is to to just do the things I tell you to do and that will then lead to what you want to do there are people here that are just going to be like like I feel like when someone has made it to a point where they just have like generational wealth for them and their family, that's when they're going to get to a point where they're like, yeah, we want to really help you. Yeah. I had a guy help me at the last job that I had. Yep. He didn't help me, but he gave me some really good advice. It was actually a really cool story. Uh, it was just when I was PTing there and um, I – would I was there, I was first in, last out every day. Yeah. And, you know, I would only train, you know, it's not like I was training for five hours during the day. I would quickly train on my lunch break and I was back in. If I wasn't doing sessions, I was walking the floor, talking to people, um, helping other coaches with stuff, you know, like leveling up, things like mm-hmm. that. And this guy was actually a client of one of the other PTs. And he would come in three, four times a week to train with this other PT. And I knew who he was. I said hi to him every day when he came in. He's just like an older guy, like around my dad's age. Super friendly, pretty quiet. One day I noticed out of the big windows on the gym, I noticed that when he was parking his car, he had a really nice Porsche. And I am a sucker for Porsches. They're my favorite mm-hmm. car of all time. So when he came in, the next time I spoke to him, I was like, oh, man, like, tell me about your Porsche. Like, I love Porsches. I don't know a lot about them, but I just want to hear you talk about it. And I want you to tell me how fucking awesome they are because I just love them so much. And he started talking to me about it. And he just, like, fully nerded out and knew everything about it. And I just sat there and listened. And I was like, oh, I don't know what any of this means, but it just sounds so awesome. And, um, you know, just say hi to him here and there. And then a, bit, a month or two later, this other PT came over to me and was like, hey, you know my client 
can't actually remember his name. It was like Steve or something. Yeah. And my client, Steve, said, yeah. And he's like, yeah, so he actually asked if I could ask you if he could take you out for coffee. He just wants to talk to you about business and stuff because he sees you here every day. And and he asked me like, man, whenever I'm here, no matter what time my session is, like Nick's always here. And if he's not coaching, he's doing something else. But he's just literally always here. Does he ever go home? And this other trainer said, oh, like he's always the first one here. He's always the last one to leave. Um, And that guy was like, well, I want to have coffee with him because I feel like I could – I could tell him some stuff and he's actually the type of person that would implement implement this stuff and get value out of it. I yep. thought that was really cool. So there are people out there that are willing to help. Yeah. I think it's a lot There's, rarer in Australia though. Oh, 100%, man. And I, we know that. It's like I'm kind of known for that, hey, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. Do you want to go into um, RIR? And um, percentage and RPE? Sure. What are your thoughts? Preferences, feelings, concerns? My thoughts are they all have a time and a place. Um, I, My personal preference, as much as... So for context, I think I probably only know one person that I've ever had any sort of dealings with who actually is aware enough to follow RPE properly. Mm -hmm. That's not me. No, it's not me either. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's Alex Deacon. Yeah, okay. I think he... He's probably the only person that I've trained with where if it was, hey, we're doing a set of five at an eight, it was actually a five at an eight. There's probably a few other people Mm -hmm. as well that have been pretty good with RPE, but I feel like most people fuck up RPE because they have something called an ego. Mm -hmm. Um, My personal preference is for, if let's say you're in a prep and you have recent and appropriate one RMs to work off. I love percentage base for top sets because mm-hmm. I feel like it's really easy to guide someone to a improvement. Um, mm-hmm. But that's also then when I love to use accessory work to an RPE because then they can like, once they've done the main work and they've hit the numbers I want them to hit, if they need to kind of satisfy their ego a little bit, they can but they've also generally used mm-hmm. up enough energy in their their like their tank when they're not going to be able to go, you know, full tism on me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I much prefer percentage based for the main work. Yeah. Um, if you, especially if you have, like you said, a recent numbers that you can go off, and even if you don't. I think if you're a half decent coach, you should be able to outlay can, numbers. Like yeah, you can round. you can figure out. Yeah. yeah, you can figure out an approximate where it, where it should kind of end up, and then you can base some percentages off that to start mm-hmm. with, and then based on how those numbers move, you should have a pretty 
good idea of where you want to take it over the next few weeks, few months, yeah. et cetera, and, and to where that's going to end up. Any, anyone worth a dollar should be able to do that. And I think that's much more valuable than, than like an RPE, RR on, on like actual working sets like, or main movements. With all of my programming at the moment, it's not percentage-based, but it's also like it kind of all works out rep-wise to be able to go, well, okay, if I'm able to finish on this many reps for this, like for, at this weight for this many reps, relative reverse engineered calculator tells me that this being the goal that I'm chasing for the number, if I'm able to work back from it and I'm able to hit these targets, that puts me on a good trajectory to be able to hit this. Yeah, so it is percentage based in a roundabout way because you're kind of reverse engineering it off where you like, want to end up. For example, the bench at the moment, like I'm chasing a 170 bench. Mm-hmm. If I bench 150 for four next week, that puts me on a pretty good trajectory to be able to go, yeah, there's probably enough strength there. It's now just going to be a matter of like, can you execute the technique in a way that allows you to then achieve that rep yeah i i I tend to like rir a little bit more than rpe but then in saying that i also think they're fairly interchangeable anyway like the way i use rpe and rir are pretty much just like an inverse effect of each other anyway Yeah, it's like an rpe should be two reps in reserve yeah, so it's like the same thing, just different language. One you're counting from from ten down, and one you're counting from one up. It's, yeah. Um, one thing that I fucking hate. Hang on, let me get my uh, my tea out. Okay, <laughs> go. <laughs> one thing that I fucking hate is RPE or fucking one RM calculators. <laughs> Oh my god! I will literally die on this hill. One RM calculators are fucking so redundant. Don't even get me started. Like, what's the purpose of a one RM calculator? It's to tell you how strong you could hypothetically be. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. <laughs> yeah. So pretend you like one RM calculators. Yep. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, Ben, as someone who likes one RM calculators. My favorite. What? What's the point of a one RM calculator, Ben? Well, it tells me where where I'm going to end up on this block when I do magically retest my one RMs, and everything goes perfectly. <laughs> so, what you're telling me is, is if last week you did, you benched one fifty mm. for mm. three. And it was an RPE eight, and you put one fifty times three at an RPE eight into your one RM calculator, and that spat out a number, one seventy two, as your one RM. And this week, you did one fifty times three, but it was an RPE seven. So, you want to know if that makes you stronger. You're just going to pop out your RPE calculator, your 1RM calculator, and put in 150 times 3 at an RPE 7 to find out if that makes your 1RM higher. 
Well, no fucking shit, Ben. Of course it did. Because you made it one RPE easier. Yeah, that's because I got stronger. So let me give you a little life hack, Ben. Okay, Nick. If you want to know if you got stronger, you don't even have to pull out the calculator. You can literally just do this. Okay. Okay, last week I did 150 times 3 and it was an RPE 8. That means it was an 8 out of 10 hard. This week I did 150 times 3 and it was a Mm -hmm. 7. That means it was a 7 out of 10 hard. Without getting out my calculator, that means it was easier, which means... I've probably gotten a little bit stronger. Wow. I, I didn't realize you could do that. Fucking crazy, right? I, oh, like, oh, I, mate, I, oh. I, didn't even, I didn't even need a 1RM calculator because do you know what? I already know if I put that into a calculator, my 1RM is going to be higher. I already know that because the RPE is lower. Hey, Nick, do you want to know why I also love 1RM calculators? <laughs> Tell me. Because you don't actually have to improve your 1RM to improve your 1RM. <laughs> yeah. That is a lifting like hack I for just... everyone. Just just do 50 to like 30 to 50% max load. And just change the RPE. And just yeet it for an RPE 6. <laughs> like I could bench 100 for a set of 20 and that's probably going to say that my... 1RM is like 185. Did you know I'm now a 400 plus pound bencher? Yeah. I haven't actually like done I just, it, I, but the calculator says I am. Like I just can't see, I just can't see any utility for it at all. It's just another fucking ego boost. They're the dumbest fucking things ever. Like there's so many real world ways that you can go about figuring things out without this calculator. Like I just I just literally can't think of a reason that it would be applicable in any situation. Like the only thing I will say that in terms of like application is that people might, and this is from like more of a coaching perspective, if clients aren't necessarily seeing a direct correlation between their work they're doing and an improvement, if someone can be like, hey, look, the calculator here says that you've gotten stronger that may be enough buy-in for a client to keep going. But, but Yeah, but, but I feel but, like but, as but, coaches, we should be able to get buy-in without oh, that. Fucking just... oath we should be able to. But as we spoke about earlier, there are a bunch of shit cunts. <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that's just really bothering me at the moment. Do you know what might help you uh, get past that? What's if you that? start using a 1RM calculator. <laughs> if you can't beat them, but, join them. Look, <laughs> no, I've literally had conversations with mm-hmm. people that go like this. So that was X amount of weight at a seven RPE, mm-hmm. which puts my one RM at this. Mm-hmm. But if I make it a six point five RPE. It puts my one RM at this, which means I would beat these people. Okay, well, like, was it a seven or was it a six point five? And how, are you like even close to doing that? Because this entire conversation has now taken up fifteen minutes and it's completely irrelevant. That's what bothers me. Yeah, 
the thing I always come back to like one RM calculators is I'm like, you, let's say you're doing rep work. It's like, oh, but you know, my, my one RM is now projected at this. It's like, okay, cool. But what's your one RM? Like what's your actual one RM? Until that changes, mm-hmm. you haven't technically gotten stronger. No, and like, like sure, you can say that, like, oh well, from a rep perspective, you've gotten stronger submaximally, but your ability to produce mm-hmm. maximum amount of strength has not improved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want to test that, just test it. That's usually like, what just a actually do it. Competition is for, and that's where. Yeah, and <laughs> if you're not, and if and if you're in an off season, like, just do it. Just do it. Just test it. Like, what's stopping you? So I'll tell you the story about like when I redid, my, like when I pulled 290, what my process had been in the lead up to that. I think you would completely not peak, right? <laughs> no. So <laughs> yeah. I competed at like the end of the October. And then after that, I pretty much ran stiff-legged deadlifts for like six or seven weeks. I had a week where... I went into the gym and I think I was meant to do like 200 for six stiff legged or something like that. And I went to the gym and one of the guys there was like, oh, like I, you know, I, I pulled a new three RM today. I'm like, oh, sick. Like, what did you do? And he's like, I pulled 240 for a triple. I was like, nice. nice. And we had a healthy competition. So I'm like, of course I'm going to be a shit cunt. And I loaded 240.5. <laughs> And pulled it very easily <laughs> and tagged him in it. And I was like, hello. hello. And then it's me. the following week, I went out to Apex and trained with Anthony. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to be an absolute moron today. And I'm just going to load plate, 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 plate until I can't anymore. So I deadlift. Yeah, it's, it's a foolproof plan. but. So like I pulled 260 and it was very fast. And I was like, oh, I love that. And days. I'm like, I'm 100% loading 300 kilos and going full blown yeet. Mm-hmm. Now, a 40 kilo jump is not something I would typically recommend, but. <laughs> Especially when it was 15 kilos more than I'd ever pulled before. (laughs) I would 100% recommend that. (laughs) But I broke the floor. I got it about halfway up my shin. And then I could just feel like my pelvis feeling like it was being pulled apart. And I'm like, I don't need to hurt myself to try and get this today. (laughs) But... So I, you know, again, laughed it <laughs> off. I'm like, I have no business attempting this whatsoever. But it was a bit of fun. Happy days. I went into the gym the following week back at Pro Raw, which was my normal stomping ground. I was like, look, I'll probably just work up to like, like a 240, 260 deadlift, just something really comfy today. Like, you know, last week was a bit of a, you know, a dildo move on my my end, and I just needed like be a little bit more sensible today. So I pulled 260. I'm like, didn't move as fast as it did last week, but it felt stronger. I'm going to put two. Fast isn't, 
Fast isn't always the best no. indicator. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm like, I'm going to put 290 on today. I'm like, I reckon I can, I reckon I've got 290 in me. So I put 290 on the bar. No, like there was like three people in the gym. And I was like, amazing. Like, I'm not going to be like peer pressure into doing stupid shit. Like I'm nice and calm. I'm collected. I can put some music in my headphones, do my thing, get myself set up. Happy days, bang. I get off the ground, I get to my knee, it's hard at the knee, get past, I stand it up, lock it out. I'm like, cool. I pop it on the ground, no worries, under my belt, I walk off. One of the guys that was at the gym came up to me and he was like, the one thing I really enjoyed about watching that, compared to everyone else in this gym who's done a big lift, you didn't make a scene of it. You went in, you did your job, you put it down respectfully, under your belt, you walked away. But if I hadn't have done the stupid attempt at 300 the week prior, I don't think I would have found that extra gear I needed to hit that 290. Mm-hmm. But having days like that where it's like, cool, lesson from a failure. There'd be a lot of people that'd be like, oh, well, it was... I missed 300 for a 15 kilo PB and, you know, 100 kilos on anything I've pulled recently because uh, it was a misgroove. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, you fuckhead, it was just too heavy for you. Yeah, it goes back to that too heavy yeah. thing. But it's okay, it's okay to admit that it was well, too heavy. I think that's, that's why I like percentage-based training because for you to do – say a set of five at eighty percent, like you know that that's probably good. like it's it's doable, but it's probably gonna be pretty challenging. Or to a to mm-hmm. a degree of challenge where it's like, yep, like I'm working here. But if you're like, oh well I'm doing sets of five at a an RPE, whatever the fuck it is, and that ends up being like, oh well I'm I'm actually doing sets of five at like ninety two percent. It's like, yeah, cool. Like you may have a stronger foundation, but the name of the game is 1RMs. If your 1RM is not improving, you're not actually getting stronger. You're not actually getting better at your sport. Mm. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, don't me wrong, it's yep. great for training morale to be able to go, oh, well, I've added 12 kilos to my 3RM. Because that, that is very much laying the foundation to go, cool, everything is indicative that you are set to improve your top end strength. But when yeah. people get stuck in, but then you still have to yeah, do it, and that's when people go, "Oh well, you know, let's let's, let's use a hundred kilos as a nice round number." It's like, "Oh well, you know, if I've, you know, if I'm trying to squat a hundred kilos at this competition, and I squat ninety kilos for three reps, like that's pretty indicative that you're in a spot to be able to squat one hundred kilos." But mm-hmm. the people that are like, "Oh well, I'm going to squat a hundred before I compete to prove to myself that I can do it before I go and do it." Defeats the fucking purpose. Shoot me. Shoot me now. Well, I'm talking about this because you got to bring up 1RM calculators. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, God, don't, don't remind uh, me. I don't even like hearing that word. I just think we should maybe start a petition to have um, 1RM calculators scrubbed off the internet. So if you type in a 1RM calculator in Google, instead of it coming up with like, your laptop explodes. Well, so instead of coming up with like a list of 
um, like links to different sites so you can plug it in. It takes you to the um, like just like a, a YouTube clip of someone being like, of like say um fucking uh what's his name off the office. Um, <laughs> Which one? The American version, where he's like, no, please God, no. <laughs> <laughs> or if just the whole internet just melts. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have access anymore. You've abused, you've abused your powers. And it comes up with warning saying, this computer will self-destruct in five, four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. I'm sorry, you know, you no longer have access to the internet. <laughs> you now have a lifelong ban. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we did get one question regarding... Ooh. R-I-R, and because my phone is my camera, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was along the lines of uh, RPE, sorry. How do you work out RPE? Because this lifter said he's always had trouble with RPE Mm -hmm. and how is there a quantifiable way of measuring it outside of just going by feel? Well, I think... RPE inherently is going to be incredibly subjective. Like when you think of what it stands for, it's rate of perceived exertion. There are so many things that are going to influence like how you perceive it. Like, you know, how is your sleep? Have you had enough calories for the day? Have you recovered from your previous session? Like there are so many things that are going to influence how one perceives a level of difficulty, especially when they're undertaking a task of challenge. Um, yeah. Whereas I think like, it's this is kind of where I, depending on how, how the, the training program at the time has been structured. Like I, I'll use a, like an example is I used to work with a cop years and years and years ago who was like in the process of training to apply for SOG, which is like a special operations group. And at the time, so the, the fitness standard was you needed to be able to do a minimum of 10 reps of body weight on bench press. You needed to be able to do at least 10 strict pull-ups. It was like 60 sit-ups in two minutes. It was like a, a stair run in full like tactical gear in like under two minutes. And it was a 3.2K run in like 11 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we kind of used like reps in reserve as a secondary thing after like a top single. So we would use like a top single at a, like say an eight as a, Hey, we're going to prime the system a little bit, which will take us above what your body weight is. And then we bring you back down to body weight. And then it would always be cool. You're going to do two sets at body weight with zero reps in reserve. Essentially it's mm-hmm. two reps, and we're going to consistently yeah. build exposure and conditioning to what we need to be able to do, which for him was like an 80 kilo bench press. If I mm-hmm. look at my benching at the moment, I have my top sets, which I hit, which I've, you know, I've projected what I want to be able to hit, like where I want to finish work backwards. Cool. There's my program for however many weeks I'm going to run it for my back off work. I have a weight range that I can work with two way reps in reserve, which for me is a zero mm-hmm. to one. But, if mm-hmm. I was going to say, hey, use this weight for an RPE nine to nine and a half, I don't think I would end up 
like for me, I also have a bit of a differentiation between going RPE, reps and reserve, although I still kind of frame them as being pretty interchangeable. Yeah. But, but I think to, I think to answer the question is like, no, there, there is an RPE scale, yep. which, but it's literally based off how you feel. Yeah, and that's where it depends on the client as well, right? Like there are going to be some clients where I'm like, hey, I want you working at 130 kilos for your back off today. And I want you to do as many reps as you can until you're probably one rep shy of failure. And we're going to track the progress there. And we're probably also going to be able to have a pretty, you know, noticeable link between like RPE and reps being achieved. But if we're looking at trying to progress, I would rather be going, hey, I want you to try and chase an extra rep this week, but still keep it with one rep in reserve. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, the language is still very similar to, hey, I want you to try and get one extra rep at the same RPE. Like, it's very similar. But again, I think coming back to the point of going, because RPE is so subjective, it can sometimes get, like, I think as well, like when you've got clients that frankly, they don't know their finger from their asshole, trying to be like, like, mm-hmm. how do you actually feel today? And they're just like, oh, I, f- I feel good, uh-huh. I guess. Like, they've got no fucking idea. Yeah. And this isn't to, like, throw shade no. on them, but most people have no fucking idea how they feel. They have no fucking idea what, no, like, the heart is actually. And then, like, I mean, how many times have you taken someone through a set of something? Let's let's say leg press or something like that. And you're like, cool, you know, we're going to go for an RPE 8 here. And they go to bracket and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, oh, that was an eight. And it's like, no, it wasn't. Let's keep going. That was like a three. Yeah. And they end up getting like another, like yeah. they double the reps that they've done. Like I know you were using that example as well, like a couple of weeks ago. Like I had a friend of mine, mm-hmm. she was doing pendulums and she's like, I've got to do, you know, like I've got like a, this much weight on there. I've got to hit it for like an RP eight. I'm hoping I can get eight reps. She came up for mm-hmm. rep eight. And she went to bracket. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, you're not fucking done yet. 26 reps. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly exactly the same thing. But this is also where like, if you're truly, and and this is where like, again, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but it kind of like ties into what you've been talking a lot about lately is like fucking training crews and having good training partners Mm. and people that are actually going to push you to fucking be better. If you've got someone like, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, when we train, like, you know, if I'm training with someone, my headphones like that. I've got my music playing, but I can still hear mm-hmm. someone if they need to yell at me. Mm-hmm. If someone is in your ear, like, you know, I think this is when we sort of talk about training partners, like having training partners who know how to train, know how to spot, like, I quite often say that you remind me a lot of my friend Brady. Now, yeah. I you said that ever since the first day yeah, I met you. And I say that's pretty, him pretty much every time I say my man, you remind me so much of one of my good friends, Nick. Like it's fucking, it does my head in. But when I was at one gym training with <laughs> the guys from Prescript, when I was like fucking top bloke, <laughs> Brady was going for like a top set on his incline Smith machine press. And he's like, yeah. Did he overshoot it? No, no, like no, 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 no. Like he's like, <laughs> I just might need a little bit of a spot to get the last rep if I need it. <laughs> and he's coming up. And he's like, it's still moving, but I was like, when you're doing a your final rep, 
and it's really fucking hard, it doesn't feel like it's moving. So I, I'm no. actually, like, obviously I'm watching it and I've got like my fingers on the bar. I'm just sort of like guiding it up like that. And he's like, yep, a little bit more. And I give him like just a little bit more. He's like, yep, a little bit more. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're fine. I'm like, keep going. He's like, yep, a little bit more. Because to him, he's like, it didn't feel like it was moving. But I'm like, cool. Like, I'm literally giving you enough support on here to keep it moving, but not so much that I take away from what you're trying to achieve here. So, like, yeah. if you're on, say, like a hack squat, and how many times you see people, like, when someone gets a little bit hard, they're pushing up and they haven't given them enough and then they just drop in and they're like, cool, we're done. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you stay with it, but like you should be applying enough pressure on the implement so that they can keep moving and grind out a really hard rep if that's their final rep. But yeah. I think as well, like having someone in your ear actually giving more objective thing of going, has it really slowed down? Do you, Have you actually like squeezed out everything from this set that you're actually trying to do? When you've got people, um, I look back at, that session that you, Ray, and I had at World Gym before I moved back. Like, that was a fucking yep. good session for, like, all three of us. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a sick session. Yeah. And I th- that session went brr. 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 <laughs> Fuck, I hate you sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. But coming back to my tangent that goes brr. <laughs> like having good training partners, I think will actually allow people to do proper RPE. Unless you are a freak of nature who actually knows how to push hard. Like, again, not to toot my own horn, but looking at my dumbbell presses from today, I would say they probably reached a fairly appropriate level of RPE. I, I agree. Like, I would probably rate that at like, a nine and a half to 10. Like, I don't think I had, well, I mean, in fact, you know what? It was a 10. I, <laughs> There's I, no I, more I, didn't, reps. I could have probably got the eccentric for another rep, but I sure as shit didn't have the fucking concentric. It was a 10. So it's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. But if I look at my progression, I went. But when did that, when did that set get uncomfortable at like, Rep the four. moment that I put those motherfuckers up into that bottom position for that first rep, I'm like, like even the last warm up set, I did like three reps with the 47s, and I was like, oh god, I'm like this top set is going to be a fucking a slug and a half monster. And then mm. it's like, cool, I've got 52s. As soon as I picked them up, I'm like, in my hands, I'm like, yep, these feel alright. And as soon as I kick them back up and lay back on the bench, I was like. Oh no! I want like I want my mum. <laughs> it, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> but yeah, it's like cool. You do one, and it's like having a level of control and actually knowing how to like stabilize dumbbells and press them hard and actually train some output on them. You should be able to press to a pretty high RPE. Yeah, that's. That's why I don't actually like RPE for the top sets in a scenario like a competition prep, mm. though. Oh, I don't either. Because, generally. yeah, because it, it's literally based off how you feel, yeah. right? And so, like, what happens during a prep? You Fatigued. get 
you build it you build a bunch of fatigue, yeah. right? So a lot of the time you're coming into sessions, you're probably not going to be feeling the best. But physically, you're actually more capable than what you'll realize because you're in the best position to express your top end strength at that mm-hmm. time. But feeling wise, you you probably actually feel pretty shit because of the level of fatigue that you're holding. So it's almost like it, you can start to sandbag it a little bit just without actually even knowing because you're like, oh, I don't feel that good today. That felt like an eight when it probably wasn't. It just felt like it. Whereas if you base it more off numbers and you go in and you're like, God, I feel like shit today, but I know I've got to squat 300, you're probably going to get it done. Yeah, because it's like... If 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 that's a number that's within your capability, and this is another thing, like obviously looking at sort of like health metrics that you can track as a coach for your clients. It's one thing I've never tracked is like, um, like HRV, because like, mm-hmm. and this has always been something I've I've contested with other coaches about. I'm like, there's a reason why I don't track HRV for my competitors and for the majority of my clients. Is because if someone does wake up and like I feel like shit today, it's like cool. What are some things that we can do to make you feel like less less like shit? Whereas if you wake up and you've got a thing on your phone that's like, oh, you had a HRV of whatever it was, like you should probably take it easy today. It's like, do you have a goal to achieve? Like, mm. if people only did things when they feel fantastic, they would never do anything because no one always feels fantastic. And like, what I to like. What I really like doing is if so, if I know that someone has like a lot of external stress going on, what I like to do is give them like a weight range with mm-hmm. an RPE overlay. He's going, hey, I want you to yep. hit like between say 127 and 135 on your bench today, but I want it to be at an eight. So gives- yeah, so I, I use the same I use the same thing, but I just call it an RPE cap. Yeah. So like, yeah, same so- sort of thing. Same like, thing. But I'm like, cool, yeah. as a minimum, this is what I want. As a maximum, this is what I want. If you're falling in that somewhere, amazing. But if someone, like, the only time I would ever be like, okay, let's let's party, is if let's say someone hit that 135 and they're like, bro, that was a six. They're like, cool, let's go. First and foremost, I'm like, cool, send me a video. Max out. Max out instantly. Naturally, that's the only progression from there. <laughs> But like <laughs> any time, load 170, let's go. That's, that's what a man does. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> the only time that I generally say, like if someone's like, oh, I did this, can I go up? I'm like, cool, I want to see a video. And then I usually like to undershoot for people, especially competitors. Mm-hmm. And the reason why... Because they're prob they're because they're probably slightly overshooting. So if you undershoot, you probably land up right in the right spot. That and competitors are always influenced by emotional attachments to numbers. Like yeah, a lot of the time, I would say like more often than not, slash two always. Like Mm -hmm. again, me failing the one seventy bench that I did was because there's an emotional attachment to three reds. Yeah, of course. But if I had been coaching a client who was in that session, I would have just said, you are not going to get the 170 today. 
you are going to do that when it matters. If it's just some, again, I think this is the other thing. Like, if you're just training for the sake of getting stronger, you can afford to fuck around a little bit more. Because a miss. Yeah. You're not on a timeline. No, and it's like, and if you do miss, it's like, cool. You can do a really easy deload after that and go back to work. Whereas if you're a competitor yeah, and you if- have a definitive date that you need to be able to express strength on, you don't have as much room to wiggle. Like, you kind of have to go, well, yeah. fuck my feelings and fuck what I think I should be doing. I'm going to do what I can actually do so that I can set myself up to be able to do the thing on the day that actually counts. Yeah. Yeah. I had this this exact conversation with a client um, just last week, late last week, actually. It's just like he um, trained with a couple of friends and was like, oh, they went heavier than me. So, and, you know, obviously I'm stronger than them. So I just went a little bit heavier than them. And I was like, don't. I don't care, dude. I don't care. Like in you know, 10 weeks, you can do whatever you want. But right now, you can't do whatever you want. You you do what I say because I'm, I'm steering the ship here. And if you do something that's outside of what I tell you to do, it's it's now my job to try and recover recover you from that. And if I can't do that, you're not going to blame yourself. You're going to blame yeah. me. So. This when you're on a timeline, you've really got to follow things to a T, ideally. Ideally, yeah. Dude, let's talk about um our favorite exercises. Mm. And let's let's finish it up with that because I've been I've been really excited to talk about this with you because I want to hear what you have to say. I feel like there's gonna be some things that we might overlap on. I think on. there'll be a lot of that we overlap on. But I think there might be some differences too. I think so as well. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go through like our favorite accessory for squat, bench, and deadlift? And then like some of the, Mm -hmm. maybe like then three exercises we like as like supplementary exercises for that. Okay. We can do that. Unless you have something else that you would specifically (sighs) like to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, no, it's pretty much what okay. I want to do. I was thinking we could do like our th- our three, like a squat, a bench, and a deadlift variation. So, th- three that- variations of squats that we like to use. No, no, like one of each. Okay, yep, yep. So like three, so like three total. Just our our top favorite variation yep. of each. Um, and it doesn't have to be like. It's just like the one that our, our first go to, mm-hmm. right? That we use the most. Um, and then I was thinking we could do like five exercises uh, that we tend to program more than others, like our five go to exercises. Because yep. um, I don't know about you, but the longer that I coach, the smaller my exercise library <laughs> that I actually use gets. Yeah, same. And I think that that's like, I don't, I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's like, I look for like bang for buck, like most effective. And it's like, if I can do that with this, why would I do it with anything else outside of like program variability here and there? But it's mostly like variations of the same thing anyway. It's like over time, my exercise library has like shrunk right down to like, 
have to there, there's five there's five that I've got mm-hmm. that if you ask any of my clients, majority of them would be like, Oh, I've had that in heaps <laughs> of my programs. Yeah. <laughs> I really I've like got, them. I've got a so few like that. I reckon. Well. Uh you can start. What's your what's your top squat variation? I've got two that kind of I reckon tie for equal first, and that would be safety bar or front squats. Mm-hmm. Why? Front squats because I feel like they expose overall mechanics of how someone is going to move in a squat pattern really, really well. I feel like if someone has a dog shit front squat, chances are their back squat probably is going to have a very sharp drop off in terms of where they can actually get to. Whereas I feel like if someone has a mm-hmm. beautiful front squat, you can probably safely assume that they move pretty well through a pattern and we should be able to progress that mm-hmm. pretty nicely. Safety mm-hmm. bar kind of carries on from that. Um, where it's like, depending on what safety bar they have, I will sometimes bite it as a cool, like push the handles up a little bit to bring the weight forward. So it's kind of like a, a front squat that's loaded on your back rather than being in a position like this. Um, that can sometimes be a nice way to get around it if someone doesn't have the mobility for a front squat, but it's essentially trying mm-hmm. to achieve the same thing. Mm-hmm. What's yours? I like that. My my squat variation is safety mm-hmm. squat bar. Why? Uh, I really like it because one, it's easy to put mm-hmm. on your back. It takes the. It's <laughs> the first time today that's happened. Uh, I like it. It's easy to put on your back. It takes that barrier to entry out of squatting that a lot of people you know can't get under the yep. bar. It's comfortable. I like it from a loadability perspective mm-hmm. to where you can usually load it a little bit more than a front squat yep. um, from a lot of people, majority of people. Mm-hmm. I like the versatility in that you can pull the handles close to you and bring the weights a little bit closer to center mass. You can push the handles up, put the forward a little, bring the weights a little bit more anterior loaded. Um, so that's going to change the mechanics of, of the squat fairly dramatically, depending on the bar that you have. Um, yeah, I just I think it's a really cool squat. I like it a lot. But I do want to give an honorable mention to goblet squat okay. as well because I think it's severely underutilized. Yep. Are we not are we just, are we keeping the main variation that we like to use as like a barbell specific one? Or is it just any movement? No, well, I just I'm just thinking like from a squat perspective, mm-hmm. like I I do like goblet squats a lot. I think they're I think they're underutilized a lot. Yep. I think people tend to think goblet squats is like this baby entry point to squatting. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it can be such a goddamn useful tool for Absolutely so many people. Can. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to that. Like there's something super badass about like a really fucking heavy goblet squat. Mm. Like imagine picking up the eighties, like an 80 kilo dumbbell and just like, just goblet squatting that. It's fucking mm. sick. 
So nice. Shout out Goblet nice. Squats. I see you, dog. I like you. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite bench variation? Again, I have two. I have go two to. for this. One is a Larson mm-hmm. press, and the other is mm-hmm. dips, specifically weighted dips. Yeah. Okay. Threw in a little curveball there. Took the barbell out. Well, I figure I'm like, if you can give goblet squats, I can give dips. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I fucking hate last impress because I'm yeah. bad at them and I have long arms. <laughs> but they are very useful. Hey, hey, Nick, so Nick. I agree with you on that. Do you hear this? That's a violin. I don't like it because it hurts my ego, dude. My one RM calculator tells me <laughs> I'm not good at them. <laughs> yeah, but but if you got better at it, then your one RM would improve, and then the calculator nah. would tell you that you have a 300 kilo bench waiting for you. No, nah, I don't like Pussy. it. I my my go to my go to would be a tempo mm-hmm. bench. I specifically like. I tend to go towards like a three-second eccentric, two-second mm-hmm. pause. That tends to be like the range that I like to work in that seems to work really well. Um, but also shout-out weighted dips. Fuck yeah. Yeah, shout-out weighted dips. Weighted dips are in a big chunk of my programming. Same. <laughs> they, they, rear, <laughs> they rear their heads very, very often. Yeah. There. And I actually find myself getting super annoyed when gyms don't have like dip stations. I'm like, it's literally fucking two bars on the wall. How do you not have that? Yeah. Gives me the shits. You know, it's like, oh, I'm like, if I have a client and they're like, sorry, I can't do dips, I'm like, go to a different gym, dude. It's like, you're fired. Yeah, go to a different yeah. gym. Uh, deadlifts. Again, you can do one. So for, I'm going to do one for conventional, do, one for nah. sumo. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So for conventional, a deficit deadlift. Mm-hmm. For and I'm talking like maybe like a 10 kilo bumper as a deficit. So not a, not a big okay. deficit, yep. but just a little bit more than what you would have normally if you're pulling off the floor. Um, yep. Is a 10 kilo bumper is probably about the same size as a 20 kilo like iron plate, right? Kind of, yeah. Similar ish. Similar? Yeah. Um, sort of like or maybe like a one inch deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for sumo, I would probably say my favorite variation is like tempo to the knee. Okay. So like it might be like a two to three second concentric to the knee and then finish it as normal. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like that teaches and to be fair, like I occasionally will use those for a conventional deadlifter as well, but not as often. Um again, mm-hmm. it's a load limiting variation for me, or as you'd like to say, it's a constraint based coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trademark. same thing. Um trademark. But yeah, so I would probably say for conventional it's a deficit deadlift. Um and then for Sumo, I would say tempo to the knee, and that's probably like my go-to variation. Cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go deficit pause mm-hmm. for a conventional. Same thing. Offer a fairly small deficit, 
So like a, you said like a ten kilo bumper, but I've we've got the those iron plates, so we use the twenty kilo plates. I think it's probably pretty mm-hmm. similar. It's not not a huge deficit. Um, and then the pause would be kind of just as you break the ground, and the bar is at what like your normal starting position mm-hmm. would be. I really like those for conventional. I feel like it teaches one it teaches a good slack mm-hmm. pull, teaches to build tension against the bar off the ground, teaches you to find your quads really well, and then it it promotes a really nice strong starting position with that pause as well. Yeah, where you're starting from like having tension in the bar, having tension in your quads, holding the brace, and then you finish the pull. Really tends to help people's lockouts instead of doing rack pulls to fix your lockouts. Let's look at just starting, uh, fixing your start position, and that probably fixes your lockout, believe yeah. it or not. And then for sumo, I'm going to go a little bit different to you. I'm going to go pause at Wrong. the knee or just below, <laughs> just below the knee, <laughs> just below the knee. Because the reason mm-hmm. I don't mind, I don't mind the the tempo to the knee. And I will use it, but I also find that just by the nature of sumo, it tends to be slower off the floor anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of sumo pullers that are just like snapping it off the floor and it's like super quick to the knee, you know. So by nature of the movement itself, it tends to lend itself to being more of a tempo pull to the knee anyway. So I like to pause it at the knee. And then really think like, okay, now let's finish this strong. Let's finish with the knees and then hips come through after mm. that. It tends to work well. All right. Hit me with your number one exercise that you just love to fucking program. Back extensions. Oh, back extensions on a 45? Nah, jet deep. Okay, so like a 90-degree back extension. And there's two ways I I like to do. So I like to put them in twice a week. So one Mm -hmm. of them is like weighted sets of like 10 to 12 reps. Mm -hmm. And then the other one I love to do, and it's kind of been something that I've used really, really effectively for a lot of lower back rehab with a lot of people, has been just absurd amounts of volume but it's done it's like might be like you have 100 reps to achieve break it up however you can obviously depending on where someone comes in at it might be like you start at 30 reps and then you build up Mm -hmm. and it might be like cool you did 30 reps week one week two we're gonna go 42 reps and then week three we're gonna go 55 reps and then you know week four we're gonna go 65 reps and then it might be like cool your other day might be just like a straight like three by twelve with like ascending weight increases each set, like you know with mm-hmm. relative like RPE or RIA or whatever the fuck you want to call it um, associated with yep. it. But back extensions is something that I will almost always give people without fail. Hmm. Yeah, back extensions and 90 degree back extensions too. I think they're probably, they're the goat of back extensions in my opinion too. I just like them because I feel like they, 
integrate more of the posterior chain, whereas I feel like a 45-degree tries to almost bias glutes a little bit more. But I'm like, when you think of the nature of what we do in any sort of strength pursuit, like if you're trying to build a big deadlift, like you don't just need big glutes, like you need strong erectors, you need hamstrings, you need calves, you need like everything has to integrate as part of it. So I kind of look at a 45 degree and go, well, yeah, I might be able to bias my glutes more, but why would I want to not give everything else attention as well? Yeah, agreed. It's all about integrated function, right? It has to be. Otherwise, it's fucking pointless. <laughs> agreed. I love that we think the same, Ben. What's your go-to? Uh, my first one, mm-hmm. my number one, I-, I reckon you know what it is. What is it? Single arm dumbbell yeah, row. You are going to say that. That's my mm-hmm. number one, man. I, th- I think that's got to be number one. I put that in goddamn almost every program I ever write. So much versatility. So much. And it trains so many different things all at once. It's it's fun. And it's just like like it trains it trains everything that we need, right? Comfortably. Like comfortably and loadably. Mm. And you you're training like you're not just getting you're not just getting back. There's there's like the mid back, upper back, rear delts, biceps, grip, anti rotation, spine and core, like everything. Mm. Like what else do you need? If I could do one movement for the rest of my life, it might even just be that. It would be up there in my top choices of exercises I could do for the rest of my life. And just even from a fun perspective as mm. well, like there's not many things that are more fun than getting a figure six strap, wrapping it around the heaviest dumbbell that you can handle mm. and just bending over and just ripping it as many times as you can. What's the heaviest dumbbell? And then putting it on? and then putting it down and being like, oh, fuck, now I have to do that on the other hand too. <laughs> That's the worst part. Yeah, it's a bit rough. Uh, the he- the heaviest I've ever done is seventy, but I did it for a set of twenty. Ew. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, I've got a video of it. Yeah, I'll send good. it to you. Nice. Yeah, it was standing, standing. My feet were like at a fairly wide. Face of support that was like wider than shoulder width, and I was leaning over with my hand on the so dumbbell. So you kind of doing it almost like a croc row. It was yeah. a croc row, yeah. Still, I mean, a seventy we- kilo dumbbell for twenty reps is still absurd. It was a croc row, but the dumbbell wasn't touching the ground, and I wasn't like extremely rotated at the top or anything. It was like a controlled movement. Yeah. Still, it was a hard set. It was super yeah, fun. Nice. What's what coming in at number two? A high cable bicep curl. Okay. Mm. Why is that? One, if you do them properly, the absolutely filthy 
bicep pump that you'll get is outrageous. Mm -hmm. But I actually, when you're getting into a position where you're able to actually protract and then sort of like abduct the arm there and curl back through to there, like even here, I'm like, I can feel my serratus about to cramp. I can actually train some like Mm -hmm. active extension through here. I -hmm. feel like actually from like a shoulder function perspective, it's a hidden gem. Yeah. I agree. It is something like, I feel like a lot of people when they do it, they're just like, and like, I don't really feel much going on. They're like, I might feel a little bit of my bicep, but like not a huge amount. When you actually get someone to get into a position where they can posture up and actually like get the serratus to help them protract through the shoulder and actually get to a point where they're in like active external rotation and then they're curling through to like their ear or like to the back of their head, all of a sudden they're just like, mm. holy shit, I've never felt my upper body light up the way that it is now. Yeah. Have you ever tried supersetting that with an overhead tricep extension where your arm is like not completely overhead, but like on the same angle and the cable's coming back this direction? So you're like curling like this. I don't and know then if you saw my video from the other extent- week, but I actually have the athleticism to get my arm overhead properly. <laughs> no, no, but I don't want you to. But I can do it because my one my one RM <laughs> calculator for mobility told me that I could get to this position. <laughs> but <laughs> short answer to your question, no, I haven't. You should try it. I really that's how I really like to do it a lot to of the times. Right? I've really moved away a lot from any sort of supersetting. Or even just do it in the same session. Even if it's not a superset, just do it one you after. Can't tell time. me what to do. You're not my real dad. <laughs> I suggest that you try it because it's really cool. I will do that for you, Nick. Because it challenges opposing, like the same position, op- yeah. but with opposite, right? Like one's pulling you out of that position, and one's trying to push you into that position, and you have to resist yeah. against it. It's kind of cool. Nice. What comes in at number two for you? Well, this was a this was a tough slot for me, to be honest, because I wanted a lunge variation in here and I couldn't, I found it really hard to narrow down to just one lunge variation because I, I love a good, I love a good lunge variation. So I went with a walking lunge because if I only had to pick one, I want to pick that because it trains more integrated function like we were just talking about. How do you load it? Well, that's the beautiful thing. It can be loaded so many different mm-hmm. ways. But if you're looking at maximizing your integrative function, what load pattern are you going to choose? Maximizing? I would see because it's you want you want your upper body to move to you don't want to be locked into a position, right? Like you want to move the way a human is supposed to move through that locomotion cycle, right? Look at that. Fuck, we're nerds. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> no one even knows what that is. Fuck. Yeah. I fucking hate myself. Nerd. <laughs> 
I've fucking I'm the I've become the very thing I'd sworn against. Proceed. I would load it. I would load it with a dumbbell in each hand. Okay. That's what I would do. Personally. If I had to choose one for the rest of my life, that's what I would do. Because I want to be able to move towards the front leg. And if I'm if I've got a barbell on my back, I'm gonna find that a little bit harder to do. I could probably do it with a safety bar, yep. which would probably be a little bit more loadable. But then I've got to get it out of the rack and walk to a spot where I can lunge, so that's kind of annoying. I'd probably just choose a dumbbell in each hand, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. And it's like you should be able to hold dumbbells with a strap heavy enough to make your lunge challenging anyway. Yeah. How would you load it? Bar on my back. The only yeah. reason I say that is... That challenges the rib pelvis position too, though. Yeah. I mean, in a, which, is, which is a good in thing. In an ideal world, if, if I was mobile enough to do it comfortably for a longer period of time, I'd probably go with front rack. But I think, like, there's something badass about, like, putting a bar on your back with, like, 100 kilos and doing walking lunges with that. Mm. So the other thing to consider as well is if I'm doing walking lunges, a lot of the time I'm going to want to step out of that walking lunge, out of that lunge position, up into, like, a sprinter pose. And with a bar on my back, that's going to be really challenging to not fall over backwards. That's part of the point. (laughs) I know, but with dumbbells in your hand, it's still extremely challenging, but less margin for error. More margin for error. I'm talking pure personal preference here. For me, it's going to be easy to hold a better torso position for me, whereas if I've got dumbbells in my hand, I'm more likely to slash and get pulled down. I feel like my shoulders have to work harder than they need to to be able to hold a nice static position so that the dumbbells feel more comfortable. Whereas if I've got this here, I feel like I can kind of like my hands can do this if I need to. I've got to like I can still move as I'm lunging. Like obviously I don't want to be moving mm-hmm. heaps if I've got like say 100 kilos on my back. But if I'm mm-hmm. able to hold a position here, I'm going to look at it from a loadability perspective and go, I'm probably going to be able to lunge with more weight on my back than I can hold with weight in my hands. Yeah. I've done a set of walking lunges with the 70s, a 70 kilos in each hand. That's the heaviest walking lunges I've done. That also sounds disgusting. And it was disgusting. Um, What about third place? Very good question. I feel like mm. I kind of want to give like one exercise per pattern. You don't have to. Like I'm I'm still quite fond of like a weighted chin up. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm. I love that. I mean, my my weight comes from my gut, but it's Mine still comes weighted. From my dick. <laughs> so it's not very much. Well, my <laughs> my assistance comes from my dick. It's like it's like a spring. <laughs> Fuck with dipshits. <laughs> how do how do we literally go from talking about locomotion <laughs> to, 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 to <laughs> So, like, overhand, underhand, single hand? I love pronated only because mm-hmm. I don't have the mobility to do supinated. If I had the, Yeah, I don't that's either. That's where, like, I used if to. they've got the handles where you can kind of go, like, semi-supinated, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if I had to choose, I would probably go, yeah, I'd probably go, like, a neutral grip if I had to choose. Neutral grip. I still think a weighted pull-up or just pull-ups in general are such a such a flex of strength. Yeah. And and just being able to move your body through space in a way that just not many people can do. Like it's a very small percentage of the population that can actually do a pull-up. I feel like it's a lot more exacerbated in powerlifting because you get these guys in particular that are like, you know, 140 kilos who can bench like, you know, 220 plus. And it's like, all right, cool, pull your body up. And they're like, oh, my, this is really, really hard. It's like, bro, if you can press 220 off your chest, you <laughs> should be able to pull your body weight to the fucking bar. Like, like obviously, yeah, at least if once. you go into like a gen pop gym, there aren't a whole lot of people in there that have a good base level of strength, but I also feel like it's probably a higher chance that people are going to be able to do pull-ups that don't have like extreme strength levels for very specific lifts. Because when you look mm. at power It also takes a lot of skill and coordination too, amount. more than what yeah. you would think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a massive flex for people that are like, Again, I'm probably going to cop grief for this one, but back in the day when I used to work in a CrossFit gym, my favorite thing was always like showing up the CrossFitters for what they would spend hours and hours and hours and hours of each week trying to get good at. And I would come in and be like, I'm going to beat you and I don't do CrossFit. (laughs) But like... That's a flex. The whole like there was one thing in particular where they were like doing like butterfly pull ups, which are uh, <laughs> uh, these are my dark days when I was um, in a very dark, sad place. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Crossfitters, I love you. Um, but <laughs> shout out, Ray. <laughs> yeah, fucking Ray. <laughs> Ray, we love you, and I miss you. Um, but. There was a guy in our gym who had the record for doing like the most butterfly pull-ups in a row. It was like 57. Oh, that's I'm like, good. I'm going to beat you. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to do a butterfly pull-up first. And then once I know how to do a butterfly pull-up and I can link a few together, I'm going to beat you. And I went in like two weeks later and I did like 71. I was like, 
suck it. That's good. Yeah, like, but it's it's just momentum. Yeah, but it's, that's just, it's still athletic. Uh, I think that's what people don't understand I, about it is it is athletic and it it, it is a skill to be able my, to do that. My, I reckon the most athletic feat that I ever did was holding a twenty pound med ball between my feet. So like one of the balls I use for like wall balls, holding that in between my mm-hmm. feet and doing 20 strict muscle-ups on the rings in a row. Oh, Jesus. Muscle-ups was up. Why on earth did you do that? I could. Yeah, like, fair. That's fun. Mu- like ring muscle-ups are something that people always seem to struggle with. And it was the one thing where I was like, yeah, I found this so easy. Like I, I remember the yeah, first right. day. I've never done one. The first day that I started working at that gym, like the guy was like, "Oh, we're going to show you like all these CrossFit moves." Or okay, okay, like whatever. And he's, I'm like, "Oh, so there's like a set of rings set up." I was like, "Do you guys like do work on the rings?" He's like, yeah, like we do this muscle up. Like it's it's pretty hard. And he got like a band out to like show me how to do a muscle up. I'm like, "Oh, do you mind if like I give it a go?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, man, but like don't be like too annoyed if you can't do it." And I literally just like rocked it, like just like gorilla gripping it, and it's like. Yanked myself up, like caught it in the bottom of a dip, pressed myself up. He's like, I've been doing CrossFit for like two years and I still can't do that. <laughs> but then it came to like other Sorry, things man. like double unders that like I couldn't do to save my life. So the way that I taught myself how to do them was like the most barbaric thing I've probably ever done to myself. And that was like, I did them in bare feet. So oh. that- so Every time miss. that I fucked up and I missed, I got whipped across my toes. I was like. <laughs> so you jumped higher. I got very good at like getting coordinated with those. But we, we had a quick. guy in our gym who was like a drummer and his timing was impeccable and his conditioning was insane. And one day we're like, because he was really good at double unders. And we're like, let's see how many you can do straight without breaking. 986. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's insane. Yeah. I can't believe he didn't get to a thousand. What a door. He got distracted. Like something like happened like out of the street that like broke his focus and he fucked it up. And we're like, dude. Oh, <laughs> oh that's hard. His thing was he's like, I'll get to a thousand and I'll stop. <laughs> like I think it was like once he was at like five hundred, he's like, I can do another five hundred pretty comfortably. So we're like, all right, cool. Like, if you want to get to a thousand and stop, like, feel free. And it goes like nine eighty six, and like, I think there's like a car accident or some shit outside, and got distracted and, that's, and broke that's it. And we're like, oh, dude, that yeah. sucks. <laughs> nine eighty six is pretty insane. good, but what a loser not getting to a thousand. Idiot. Idiot can't even do a thousand. Shit. My third mm-hmm. place. Leg press. No, gross. I, fu- I fucking <laughs> yeah. hate legs, press, man. I know you do. That's why I said it the way I said it. Dumbest fucking exercise. Oh, I no. love it, dude. There's like almost zero skill required. You can just hold the handles, load some weight, and just go sheer output, lower body. No. No. <laughs> I fucking I love hate it. it. It's my... It's my least. I would rather do like a triple drop set of Bulgarians than do leg press. 
Well, so would I, but I like Bulgarians. But I think leg press is awesome. And I, I, I really, I do program it a lot as well because it's like, one, pretty much every gym on the planet has a leg press. So, you know, if there's a hack squat or if there's a pendulum squat, I might program those instead. They're pretty rare in a lot of gyms, especially where I am. Unless you're in like, I was where about you to say, are. like come play at my gym, man. We have everything. <laughs> <laughs> but most gyms have a leg press, right? So then there's gonna there's gonna be a point where your skill breaks down because of your fatigue levels and you just your squat becomes ineffective and you're not gonna drive any more volume, meaningful volume through the squat pattern. Jump on a leg press, you don't have to think about it, there's zero skill required. And you can just fucking go to town on it. You can get a ton of load through there. You can get a ton more volume through there. And it's super low risk. I like it. I don't. And that's why. <laughs> what about number four? I really like a 30-degree incline dumbbell press. Hmm. Yeah, we spoke of that last mm. week. It's a juicy mm. angle. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that that incline press is a good one too because you kinda you're kinda getting a little bit of that like overhead, but you're also getting a little bit of like the chest pressing, it's kind of like a nice in-between. Well, do you want me to explain my theory behind it? Of course. So obviously, if we're looking at a comp bench, it kind of mimics like a decline bench press in terms of like mm-hmm. relative like paths and that sort of stuff. If you're doing a dip, you're kind of falling into that decline pattern as well. We go to an incline, we go to here, all of a sudden we're going to be hitting different aspects of our pec that as powerlifters, we probably don't spend enough time giving TLC to. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's super I think valuable. it balances out a lot of pressing discrepancies that a lot of people have without trying to get them here. Don't you just love how I can get here cold? I'm a fucking athlete. <laughs> I'm getting close. I'm nowhere near that good, but I'm there. That's pretty. That's better than I was expecting to be for you, dude. I'm a. I'm a little bit flared when I do it, though. But mm. I can get like. That's not too bad. I can get there if I. Yeah, it's not mm. too bad. It's heaps better. Heaps dude, better. Night and day difference. But my yeah, like so my thing is like because obviously so many people struggle to get overhead. My thing is, I'm like, where's what's the bridge between where they are and where we want to get get them? But yeah, what's what's your number? Yeah, four? I like that. Well, my number four could be my favorite exercise then of all why time. Isn't your number one? It's no. Well, the single arm dumbbell yeah. row is my favorite exercise, but number four is actually probably my second favorite mm-hmm. exercise. But I knew that I was going to have it in the list, so I left it for number four. Because it was like, I knew I was going to put it in there somewhere. Dumbbell audio. Nice. I fucking yeah. love it. 
I love it. I love. I just. I have such an affinity for a good heavy dumbbell RDL. Mm-hmm. I know what my number five. I don't is. think I need any. What safety bar? Good morning. To pins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's because you're good at it. Not not just for me though, just for like. <laughs> I know. I know. But I mean, you can you can say that compliment again. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are good at it. Say it again. Okay. Safety squat bar. Good morning to mm-hmm. pins. Okay. I like yeah. that. That's your number five. Oh, I think that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Okay. My number five, I have two, but it's like I have mm-hmm. one, but then I have like, I was just say, so like my number five would be Z-Press. Yep. But then as a caveat to the number five, if someone's just can't do a Z-Press yet, my number five would be a Landmine Press. Yeah, nice. In, in place of that. But like those two, I, I would put like, in that number five slot together, depending on yeah. where you're at, and I'll, I'll I use those a ton so again because I because f- I feel like it's not just one dimensional, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you're gaining so much from those. Yeah, they're training so many different aspects all all at one time. It's good, and it's and it's just like health, you know, health. Let's finish mm-hmm. it up with because I've got an honourable mention Ooh. of my favourite machine okay. or my favourite like implement. It's not actually a machine; it's an mm-hmm. implement in the gym. It's a machine that doesn't move, okay. and you have mentioned it in your okay. list. So, like, what would be your favourite implement, machine, item in the gym setting? For you to utilize for yourself and your clients when programming, your go-to implement. One that I've really started using a lot more of is a Smith machine. Yeah, I love a Smith mm. machine. Like Bulgarians, oh. RDLs, like some like incline pressing. Oh, hip thrust. I mean, like, yeah, I don't. To be hip thrust on a hip thrust on a Smith machine. Ooh. I don't program a whole lot of hip thrusts unless someone's like specifically no, like, I, hey, but- I want to do some hip thrust. Then I'll be like, okay, cool, like we'll do it. But I'm like, otherwise, like, like if someone wants to build bigger glutes to help their squat and their deadlift, I probably want to give them variations of a squat and a deadlift that are going to be a little bit more hip dominant. Yeah. Oh, I don't program a lot yeah. at all. But for me, me doing them personally, mm. I love a hip thrust on a Smith yeah. machine. Dude, they're juicy mm. as hell. Get them buns nice and toasted. And I mean, get them buns, yeah. boy. I see you, bun boy. <laughs> <laughs> My honorable mention, favorite implement in the entire gym is the GHDs. I just feel like it's so versatile and I'm just I just love how many different things you can do. How many different like useful mm-hmm. things 
that have like a ton of utility, not just like dumb shit, like proper good things that you can do on the GHD. Like it's the list is endless almost. Like one thing that I'm like, you obviously got like your normal glued ham raises. Sick. You've got your 90 degree hip extensions Mm -hmm. that you do. Sick. I feel like that football player. GHR, dog. 90 degree hip extension, dog. (laughs) Like I've been programming a bunch of um, Bosch Mm -hmm. holds. Dog. Nordics, dog. Nordics, dog. Do you know what I programmed lately? Harrop curls. Mm. Didn't even know he was a running back. Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, they're so Mm. good. Very challenging. Very fun. Razor curls. Oh, my God. GHD sit-ups. I'm a big fan of those. And then you can can pretty much do all of those variations single leg. Yeah. Make it even harder. Yeah. It's like, seriously, it's such a good implement. It's unbelievably good. I feel like every single gym on the planet should have one. Instead of a leg press. Do you know what? I I can't remember the last program that I wrote that didn't have a GHD movement of some sort mm. in it somewhere throughout the program. Nice. It's probably been a while. Yeah, I really like it. Shout out GHD. Get around we love it. you. <laughs> Do you want to finish it up? Do you want to end it there? I reckon that's a pretty good place I to end it. I think so as well. Um, Three and a quarter hours later. We didn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> we didn't go into um, programming stuff, but we can do that. We can have that as another topic. I think, yeah, because I feel like that's, that's a big that's one. a massive one. Like programming for me is something that I would really feel Get nerdy on. Do you want to do it next week? Uh, yeah. I'll just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's do I it next can... week. Because what we can do is we'll do the um, we'll do the recap, yep. and then we'll do programming yeah, cool. after that. Because I reckon that'll just be a whole a whole thing on cool. those two. Because um, yeah, I feel like programming deserves its. It's whole uh, a whole podcast to itself because it's it's a pretty in depth topic. Agreed. I think personally, I would agree. There'll be some coaches that tell you that it's you know not and that it's simple and that it should be simple. I tend to disagree. So we can talk about that next week. Sweet, I'll have a bit of fun with that one. Cool. Thank you all for listening. Thank you guys. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Have a good night. You too.